You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to our Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith recap episode. You're into part two, you listened to part one, you just wanted to get straight back into part two, and we're going to basically do that for you right away. I'm going to shut up, I'm going to pass over to myself and Colin anyway. And, uh, yeah, you're going to go and listen to it right now because you know that part two is definitely going to be stunning. Um, speaking of moving forward, we'll maybe lump some of these ones in together. Uh, so we've kind of got um, our Kashyyyk. This is the first time we've sort of really seen it. I, I like the look of Kashyyyk. It looks beautiful. Um, so it's sort of like a foresty kind of planet. It, it reminds me a little bit of what's the planet at the end of Rogue One when they get the plans from? Oh, the yeah, beach? the one that... Yeah, I don't know the name of it. Um, but they, you know well, what they, they about, well, it's they filmed um, Kashyyyk, at least the background plates of Kashyyyk. They filmed that in Thailand, and yeah. for Rogue One, they filmed it in Vietnam, I think, or at least it was meant to look like Vietnam. There you go. So uh, similar maybe. region. I've been to Thailand. I've been to Kashyyyk. That's, I was there wondering why there were so many Wookies walking around there. So. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Anakin relays the information back about, uh, Grievous, uh, and that, you know, they, they say where he is, um, Yoda say, we must act quickly, uh, and Anakin wants to go and face Grievous, but they send, uh, Obi-Wan instead. We get a bit of a, um, a battle here on, um, Kashyyyk which is sort of that trailer shot of uh, all the Wookiees doing the... Uh, We get Chewbacca for the first time uh, in the background as well. Uh, And then is this where we get a Tarzan yell as well? Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Which, isn't that a nod to the the Wookiee? Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Return of the Jedi, sorry, the um, the Ewoks. So that's kind of cool. Although I've seen people complain about that. But I love the shot kind of as they're like you know, on the rope, jumping on the droid ships and things are blowing up and, and it kind of mm-hmm. ends with, like, Yoda, like, to trying to deflect a random laser beam coming towards <laughs> him, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, we get the final scene of Anakin and Obi-Wan being nice with each other, uh, <laughs> sort of them having a bit of a conversation on the, uh, the I guess, the, the what, the, the pad where the, the ships take off. Uh, what, what, the landing, not they landing pad? The, the, the ship taking off pad. <laughs> yeah, the ship taking off pad. Um, but I, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's sad and nice at the same time. This is kind of like the nice, the last time these two will ever be, um, bromances, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's, anything quickly to add on this? I don't know if you really want to talk about this scene or not. I said I'm going to lump everything together, but. Oh, you know. can keep going. I'll, I'll have a couple I'll keep going. All right. You know, goodbye there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Obi-Wan flies away. Um, Anakin, Anakin has another dream. Uh, this time we, this is the one where we see Obi-Wan in the dream. So <laughs> he's having random threesome dreams, apparently, it seems. Um, so, yeah, what is what is actually what does Obi Wan say when he's like leaving? Like, it could be a wild banter chase or something like that. Um, yeah, well, which I mean, th- there's always lines like that in Star Wars, and to the audience, it's kind of like, oh, that's funny. But like, if Tatooine is supposed to be a planet that nobody's ever heard of, why is Bantha, you know, a, a commonly used slang in the galaxy? <laughs> that's like the end. Now, what was the N word? Didn't we discover that in the Clone Wars? Um, the, what you call a uh, remember that? 
You know, when we did the Clone Wars movie one, there was that moment where we said something that was like the N-word in Star Wars. It was something to do with um, Jabba the Hutt or something like that. Oh, no. oh yeah, no, I, I vaguely remember. No, I, <laughs> I just remember it was. It started with a G, and I'm like, you know, is this like some type of, you know, Gringo horrible or something, slur? Wasn't it? Yeah, what? No, it wasn't. no, Gringo, no, it was. It no, was literally. No, it was not. I was trying to suddenly not bring up the fact that it was some word that started with G, and I'm like, you know, is this in the episode? I was like, is this like, you know, like the Star Wars equivalent of something really bad, like the N word? It just happens to be G, and you called it Gringo. <laughs> well, I'm sort of right, aren't I? It wasn't like... actually. <laughs> <laughs> Grig is my friend. I work with Grigger. It's a New Zealand name. It's like Greg, but they say it like Grig, and then you say oh, okay. Grigger. So it's slightly less racist now. No, that's what I'm trying to say. You ask any New Zealander to say the word Greg, and they're going to say Grig. It's like how you say Craig, you say Craig. It's like it's Craig. Wait, how do you say it? Craig. There's an I in there. Craig. 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 Gregor, Gregor. Um, it's like in New Zealand this. they call him Obi Wan. That's <laughs> no, Obi Wan, Obi Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, Kenobi. <laughs> you you Gregor. Kenobi, hello. He's from New Zealand. You know a bunch of Gregors. Um, so Obi Wan buggers off um, on his ship. Uh, Anakin and Padme have another scene here. Um, is this the last time they're kind of all chummy as well? Because I feel like we're getting all these yeah. last scenes while everyone's being good, basically. Um, so, um, yes, uh, that's happening. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to read my notes. Uh, Obi Wan lands on what's it called? Utapau, Utapupu, Utapau, Utapupu. Um, home of those Griggers. Um, I love how, I love this guy that Obi-Wan talks to, the one who's like, we're being held hostage. Grievous is oh, here. Yeah. I mean, he's got his weird teeth looking. That's how my teeth look, actually. So, um, I'm glad that they, <laughs> um, worked that out and put it in the Star Wars movie. I feel slightly good. Who is this guy? There'd be an action figure of this guy, he's- wouldn't there be? Uh, well, this was the one when I was talking earlier about that episode of The Apprentice where one team didn't get it. They made him the focal point just because they liked to look. And he has a great look. Um, but um, the actor himself, uh, he's one of the few, I guess, of, w- nowadays we'd probably just call this a cameo. Uh, but this is the guy, I don't even know if you are familiar with the actor Bruce Spence, but he played the train man in The Matrix 3, The Matrix Revolutions. Uh, yeah, 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 yep. Yep. I think it was he played a train. Like, he, <laughs> he played the train in Polar Express. Um, <laughs> ju- just like how they made Tom Hanks very realistic, they made him very realistic yeah. as the train. Uh, um, like, it was really, really good. Um, so, anyway, like, he basically uh, is going to hide and sort of search for Grievous. So, he does kind of the fake out where he makes his ship take off automatically, and we kind of got a great shot of. Uh, Obi-Wan in the shadows again. They love the shadows, this movie. Oh, in the shadows as a child. Uh, and to find uh, Grievous, Obi-Wan goes on this giant lizard 
dinosaur Harry Potter dragon thing. What is this thing? Uh, I don't know what it is, but it was an idea that they had for Attack of the Clones when he was on Geonosis. They wanted Obi-Wan to... Um, I remember he was going to be riding this dragon. It's a what? A varactyl. A varactyl. Varactyl? V-A-R-A-C-T-Y-L. A varactyl. Varactyl. Ride the Grigger. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, another one of these, you know, ideas George Lucas had had for years. He always wanted to have a Jedi riding on, you know, some type of animal. And it almost made its way into Attack of the Clones. But eventually he's like, okay, we'll just do it here. We're not going to tell you anything about the Rebellion. We're not going to tell you about Sifo-Dyas, <laughs> but we're going to fit my dragon in there. <laughs> well, Mallory loved this thing. Mallory thought it was, like, That's incredible. That's weird, because there was the same thing with Jamie. Jamie was like, oh, the thing that I love this whole thing with him chasing it on the motorcycle and Obi-Wan on the dragon. Is it just something it's... with Canadian women loving this? Maybe. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I've never really had a thought process on this thing. I'm like, okay, it's kind of cool that he rides it, but at the same time, it kind of feels a bit Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings to me. Like, it doesn't it doesn't feel Star Warsy to me that he should be riding a dragon. Maybe thing. it's just, like, you know, like the, the visual of a knight in shining armor on a horseback, and, you know, for Canadian women, they just want to see Ewan McGregor on a dragon. <laughs> that's, yeah. No, I mean, that's a pretty sexy scene. Like, if he wasn't wearing a shirt here, like, let's be honest. Can we just... Yeah, let's find a way to Photoshop shirtless Ewan McGregor on a dragon. <laughs> it doesn't need to be as Obi-Wan, just shirtless Ewan McGregor on a dragon. So when he lands here in a minute and goes, hello there, like it's so yeah. much better shirtless Ewan McGregor. Yeah. <laughs> lands, brushes his mullet in the wind. <sighs> hello there. <laughs> and breaks into a song from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, I should don't mind Moulin Rouge. I'm not a big musical fan, but, um, you know, are you a Moulin Rouge man? No, oh, I've lost him. So much less is he of a Moulin Rouge man that he hung up on me. That is, um, oh no, there he is. Um, he was so offended by the question that he hung up on me, but, uh. I, I did. Yes. <laughs> so answer the question, was are you a Moulin a Rouge man? Are you a Moulin Rouge man? I like the mullet, okay? I like the mullet. <laughs> uh, it's always like we mentioned the mullet. That's why it cut out. Like, that's clearly what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah, Ben. <laughs> no. <Sure>. No. <laughs> um, get back to the movie, Ben. So anyway, uh, uh, speaking of hello there, uh, <laughs> everyone jumps off the Varactyl thing and confronts Grievous. Hello there. Uh, such <laughs> is that done deliberately because of yes. a new hope okay right just yeah it, was it has obvious. to be like well, there's a ton of lines like we 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 went through that opening sequence so much that uh, i don't think we mentioned that almost every line of dialogue that obi-wan and anakin have with each other uh, when they're on on grievous's ship are all lines from the original trilogy it seems hmm yeah, well, we, I mean, we we spent an hour talking about it, so we can go back and talk another hour if you want to. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we get into this great lightsaber battle, and uh, Grievous has the four lightsabers. So we had the double lightsaber in uh, Phantom Menace, and now Grievous has four. Now, do you remember, like, there seems to be one of these in every single one of the prequel movies, doesn't there? Like, you've got the double lightsaber in Phantom Menace. You've got Yoda's lightsaber moment in Attack of the Clones, and now you've got the four helicopter blades of General Grievous, who, when he reveals it and gets it all out, I love that little smirk that Obi-Wan gives 
as if to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm on to this. Uh, and then kind of we just get this moment where, like, Grievous is just coming towards Obi-Wan with these helicopter things, and somehow Obi-Wan can stop this. So, Greek, what is what is the deal with General Grievous? Like, he's a robot, but with organic matter because of these, like, eyes. Like, did we talk about this earlier? Like, what, is he like a... Is it like a Darth Vader? Is this meant to be like a nod to like Darth Vader yeah. that they can make a, a living thing into a, a cyborg, essentially? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I mean, basically all that's left of him is his internal organs and his head, or not even his full head. You know, we see part of his eyes and, you know, I'm assuming his brain's in there. Uh, <laughs> but that's the, the whole intention was to be to show you, you know, this is where Darth Vader is headed. Literally. He's more yeah. machine. Twisted and evil. <laughs> He's more machine than man. Um, so this leads into like a big massive fight as uh, the clones show up as well and kind of get involved in the battle. But I do love that, like speaking of kind of seeing him as a, a living being, like I love that zoom in on Grievous's eyes uh, mm-hmm. sort of when you see that. And then they do the same with Obi-Wan. Um, eventually Obi-Wan finally decides to actually use the force on him. Uh, and then, like, pushes him off the edge, and then <laughs> Grievous turns into, like, a spider, and just, yeah. like, starts, like, climbing on the ground, jumps onto a motorbike thing, and then we get the chase with the motorbike and the varactyl dactyl thingamabob. <laughs> um, there, yeah, there's, um, uh, th- we get a cut scene, don't we, of, um, Anakin with Mace Windu. What are they talking about there? Um... Why am I not realizing anything well, in this movie? About Obi Wan, Obi Wan has engaged General Grievous, right? And it's like, okay, go tell the Chancellor. Okay, that's it. Cool, thank you for that. I've seen this movie. Uh, so uh, Anakin is getting Anakin is getting ready to go tell the Chancellor, and then we kind of have this like James Bond villain spin chair moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm expecting Palpatine to, um, I guess, stroke a cat. <laughs> Hello, Anakin. <laughs> Mr. Bigglesworth here likes your robe. <laughs> um, so he tells him, uh, that's Anakin. Anakin! Anakin! Um, tells him, uh, and then uh, basically this is the reveal. Palpatine, we find out that... <gasps> plot twist! <laughs> Palpatine is the Emperor. He is Darth Sidious. Did, did you ever know this, Colin? Did you, did you ever think this was going to happen? I figured it out somewhere between the chair swivel and the the <laughs> corridor with all the Sith figures in the background. <laughs> so um, Palpatine's all onto this, like, oh, you know, but I'm going to teach you the ways of the dark side. Remember what we talked about at the opera? That was a great time. We bonded, Anakin. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> don't tell me you don't remember it. We took a selfie and put it on Instagram. We look so happy. Here it is. Look at us. We've got 58 likes. Uh, but Anakin, Anakin! It's all like, no, you're evil. I'm going to report you. And he pulls out a lightsaber. Just like I wish he had it done on Padme. <laughs> like, you're sounding like a separatist. <laughs> <laughs> Literally what should have happened. Um, meanwhile, back on Uta Poo Poo. Um, <laughs> Obi-Wan and Grievous are still battling. Um, Obi-Wan loses the Veredactyl Dactyl thing. And um, we eventually... Uh, Grievous dies. Uh, like, just there's nothing more to it. Grievous wasted. I like Grievous. Uh, I mean, I guess he's only in one movie. We know he's not going to appear in a New Hope. So, um, but I, I do like the way he kind of dies. The way like Obi Wan shoots him, and then he like catches fire. You'd love this moment when he's like burning. <laughs> he's like, 
fire's coming out of his eyes. This is like classic Colin moment. Um, I love it. I love when Obi Wan jumps up, picks up the gun, and just throws it on the ground. I remember like years and years ago, there used to be a YouTube series called um, like Movie in Five Seconds, and the the prequels one they did. They the Attack of the Clones one was just basically shots of Anakin Skywalker and somebody overdubbing going, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm sad. Um, and then so for the Revenge of the Sith one, they get there and they start it off again and they're like, I'm happy. And then they cut to like, the Emperor going, no, you're not. And he's like, you're right. And then you just see him like, killing like younglings and everything along <laughs> that. So then they end it with uh, the shot of Obi-Wan throwing his gun on the ground going, well, I bet on the wrong horse. Uh, so, like, that scene just reminds me of that in throwing the gun. I just wish he says that lie. I certainly bet on the wrong horse. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, rip General Grievous. We didn't know you at all. Uh, Anakin, meanwhile, Anakin has, repo- has approached Mace Windu, uh, as just as Mace Windu's about to go off flying somewhere. And um, I just had this random image of Mace Windu on a spaceship flying really fast going, Whee! <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. Um, Do you think there are uh, snakes on that spaceship? Maybe. <laughs> or is it, he's on there with like somebody else going, I can show you the world. Da, 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 like <laughs> A whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Mace Windu, the Aladdin spin-off, coming soon. So, Anakin's basically telling him that, uh, you know, Palpatine is Sidious. And is this where, like, Mace Windu's basically like, how did we never see this? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. How did it this you see like this? The Ace Ventura, you know, uh, Einhorn. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Palpatine's Sidious. Sidious is Palpatine. <laughs> And then we start playing um, the crying game by Boy George. When he's, yeah. like, <laughs> he's got the uh, the plunger on his face in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the, the crying game. The crying game. Oh, they've all like made out with Sidious. Um, <laughs> um, so they return. This is, shit's getting real now, folks. Like this is really where uh, this movie is uh, turning fantastic. So. We have uh, Mace Windu going off to confront Sidious. But then we get this, like... I don't know, like, I've seen a lot of people complain about this sequence, but I actually really like it because I think this is, like, the shift now. This sequence here where you sort of got this dramatic music and you've just got Padme staring off into space and Anakin staring off into space. This is, like, the, the shift, isn't it? This is, like, where you're flicking the switch. Like, from now on, you're about to get him officially as Darth Vader. And I really like it. Like, I like sort of the background visuals of the city with the sunset. Just the the facial acting of both of them here is really, really good. And it's just something about this scene. Just just quickly, do you like this? Or are you one of these people who think yeah. this scene's a little bit cheesy? No, I love it. Because um, Also, because you need it in the story. You have to have the... You've seen that Anakin's willing to do the right thing and turn in Palpatine. But he's still conflicted. He's like, but Padme's going to die. So having to go back and forth between Anakin and Padme... At that moment, Anakin's like, okay, if Palpatine gets arrested, then I'll never learn this power. And then Padme's still going to die. And it all comes down to that attachment where he's he's prioritizing saving Padme above everything else. That they're you know, they're going to lose everything else in the process. He has to have the moment where he makes the decision, you know, I'm going to go save him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's just really, really good. Really, really good. But in people who think it's cheesy, no. 
Um, and then uh, we randomly get C-3PO interrupting the dramatic stare-off. Um, thanks, C-3PO. I feel so helpless. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, Padme's barefoot and pregnant in this movie. Kind of C-3PO as well. Like, I mean, R2-D2 at least got, like, a flying scene before and some oil slicks, whereas C-3PO just, like, that's that's just Anthony Daniels commenting on his role in this movie. I feel so helpless. He's, he's <laughs> Rosie from the Jetsons. Yeah. <laughs> he's the maid. <laughs> oh, God, 3PO. Um <coughs> So Anakin is very much running in this movie. He's late for the opera. Now he's late to confront Palpatine. (laughs) (laughs) Running to his ship, getting dressed again in it. Um, Mace Windu shows up to uh, confront Palpatine. And so who are the three sidekicks? They've all got names, don't they? Uh, Yeah, there is... Sasatine is one of them. He's the guy with the horns. Kit Fisto's the green guy who smiled in Attack of the Clones. Who is the third one? I'm going to have to look up a visual of this. It is uh, Jar Jar. Yes, that was it. <laughs> yes, Jar Jar with uh, If I see the visual, I'll be able to identify it. But continue Kit for Fisto, now. So Agen Cola and Sayatine. Right. Yeah. Sayatine. Okay. Yeah. Sayatine. Thank you. Uh, so they confront him, get the light si- lightsabers out. That's how <laughs> I sound now. <laughs> what? Yeah, um, Gregor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gregor. I'm really weird accent time in New Zealand. Um, the first time we got Palpatine with a lightsaber. Um, is it like we talked, I think about the lightsabers a little bit last movie and sort of why Mace Windu has a purple one. I mean, what is the law in this universe where evil people have to have red and good people have good, like, could not Palpatine just have a green lightsaber and be like, look, I have a green lightsaber. I'm good. <laughs> like, is, like, it mustn't be that hard to go undercover in the uh, Jedi world. Well, I mean... Everything with the Jedi's obviously is meant to be about tradition and ceremony and stuff like that. Like even the way they dress. Like you mentioned, oh, everybody else is dressed up for the opera and he's wearing his robes. The Jedi look was always meant to look old school, even for the universe of Star Wars. And I, I just think that the Jedi and the Sith that they hold to a lot of tradition. You know, there's uh, a, a lot of you know books, comic books, the animated series had specials on the crystals that are used to create lightsabers, and mm. you know, really, I think I don't know if the red crystals are any different, or if it was just if it is a choice we identify as a Sith. This is how we identify because they so really nice. don't have anything else. They don't they don't have their own costume the way the Jedi do. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like during like World War Two. It was really nice of the Nazis to have like red guns while uh, yeah, know, the Allies exactly. had blue guns. Like so, the, you the lightsaber, tell. the light red lightsaber, is their swastika. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, isn't that the new order or whatever it is, the first order? In um, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, God, that yeah. Anyway, so um, gets the red lightsaber out. He, he disposes of our three Jedi friends like pretty quickly. Like the worst. Got to say, some of the Jedi's pretty shit in this movie. How quickly they die, like mm-hmm. <laughs> just they well, die pretty but- quickly. <laughs> he is the Dark Lord of the Sith. He's the most powerful in the galaxy, maybe tied with Yoda. What does that make Mace Windu, then? He can hold his own for a while. Um, the Dark He's Lord of fourth. the Jedi? Third or fourth? <laughs> There's a <laughs> ranking. It's like Spectre. <laughs> Hello, number two. <laughs> I'm tired of being numbered motherfucking number two on these motherfucking rankings. If I kill Sidious... Um, so that was a bit too more Morgan Freeman than Samuel L. Jackson, wasn't it? Um, there's a bad joke in there. So, uh, <laughs> Sam, 
<laughs> the whole video, you know what I'm talking about. It's funny. So Mace yep. Windu is still on this fight. Anakin shows up. Uh, a window gets broken. Um, poor old Sidious is on the rope. He's about to get thrown out the window. Starts using some force lightning. Uh, Mace deflects it and starts deforming poor old um, Palpatine. I like it how they sort of, you know, explain how he gets all weird looking. Uh, I wish somehow could, they could explain how I got weird looking. Um, and then, oh, this is where we also get the no, 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 before the force lightning when he's like, you will turn yourself in. No, no. Uh, Anakin shows up and then Mace Windu gets a little bit too evil because he's going to kill him, essentially. Like, no, he knows too much. He'll get away with it. Um, does that mean Mace Windu is about to turn to the dark side? <laughs> <laughs> not the Jedi way. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but then we get that big turning point. Anakin kills Mace Windu. And, um, wow. Well, actually, he doesn't really kill him. He chops his hand off. And then <laughs> another limb gone. How many are we up to now? <laughs> Jesus We should Christ, have done George. a count. <laughs> we really should have. George Lucas's arm fetish. He's going off crazy here. <laughs> um, Palpatine shoots him out the window. I want to see like the follow scene from this. Like, where does Mace Windu land? Is it just like somebody casually driving along and he just you know, yeah. <laughs> like, splats, causes a five car pileup, killing six it's, innocent Coruscant residents? It's uh, the same taxi dug from Attack of the Clones. Jedi Poodoo. <laughs> You know, you know who it is. It's our desk stick man. He's driving along yeah. going, I'm going along. I'm rethinking my life. What is that? <laughs> oh, and then, I then never should have stopped Mace, selling desk sticks. Dead Mace, Win- Mace Windu, guts everywhere. And he's like, you want to buy some alive sticks? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but a great moment, though, from Anakin, though, when he kind of drops to his knees and he's like, no, what have I done? Um, I made that sound so much worse than it actually is. Like it's actually, it's actually a great line. Like you know, yeah. again, going back to Hayden Christensen getting so much shit for his acting. I think kind of really from this point on, and I mean this entire movie, he's actually been really, really good. But um, now there's like everything's fantastic the way Hayden Christensen um handles this sort of stuff. Again, I mean, look, Ian McDermott's fantastic. But do you think if this movie is done in 2019 or something like that, that Hayden Christensen's in a conversation for an Oscar the way that people get nominated for Oscars these days. I'm not yeah. saying it's quite as good. Probably not. But, you, you know, do you think there would have been something different if this was made today? Um, I don't know. I mean, this is... We've gotten to this a little bit, you know, comparing the old movies to the prequels. It also... I think we brought up the idea last time about, you know, there had never really been something like this before where people's childhood came back like two decades later and we've both sort of said multiple times that a lot of the criticism these movies got was just nobody had experienced this before, whereas now people are a lot more forgiving. I mean, I mentioned Johnny Depp getting an Oscar nomination for Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, there's a reason I think that's a good comparison, because if Johnny Depp does anything now, including a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, people are like, oh, not another Johnny Depp, you know, Jack Sparrow performance. So I don't think there would really be Oscar talk, but I do believe he would get a lot more praise if this movie came out now versus coming out you know 2002 and 2005 you know we've really gone peak prequel defending when we mention the words oscar and hayden christensen in the same <laughs> sentence so 
Well, in all fairness, I mean, he made one movie in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, Life is a House, and he got a Golden Globe nomination. And, and That's a Golden Globe and, nomination, Colin. You and I could get a Golden Globe nomination. Well, And even prior to this, I mean, the movie he made after filming uh, Revenge of the Sith, or he may have made it right before, a movie called Shattered Glass that he also produced, I honestly believe he should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. I mean, it is a remarkable performance he gives. Uh, it's just, again, it's... <laughs> holding Hayden Christensen to blame for something that even Samuel Jackson can't pull off of this movie, which is a, a really good performance. It's just not possible. You do know Die Another Day got nominated for Best Original Song at the Golden Globes, right? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the one defending the Golden Globes. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, this is basically Anakin's like, fuck it, there's no turning back now, and... Uh, we learn the name Darth Vader straight away. Uh, again, I see criticisms about this. It kind of the Darth Vader name just seems so random. They're just like, I won't call you Darth Vader. Oh, is it, is it oh, random though? Well, I don't think it's random. It's it's the pause he has. If he had said, "Henceforth, you will be known as Darth Vader," he goes, "Darth Vader." It, it's all. It almost feels like what name should I call? Henceforth, you should be known as Darth. Reggie. <laughs> I want Darth Reggie. That's what I want. <laughs> I am Darth. Darth Reggie. <laughs> it's just that positive. And I love the way he delivers the line, but I have that same reaction where I'm like, is he making that name up right now or did he have that one planned? But it's like, um,. Yeah, what Darth Sidious, Darth Maul, Darth Plague. Darth is obviously the, the right, thing. Well, that, that's the thing. Let's look at that. Count Dooku's name was Darth Tyrannus. He's identified as it once. Well, twice they say a man called Tyrannus recruited Jango Fett. And then when he meets Sidious at the end, he goes, Welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. I totally see him. Henceforth, you should be known as Darth Tyrannus. And he's like, Really? <laughs> can, can we go with Reggie, maybe? I'll, I'll just <laughs> stick with Dooku, okay? Darth Maul, because um, you're going to maul people. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen uh, My Girl? Remember the movie My Girl? Yeah. Um, and Anna Chomsky's character is called Vader. So, like, Dar- <laughs> Darth Sidious is like a big My Girl fan. You'll be known as Darth. Oh, that My Girl movie. Vader. Uh, Darth Macaulay Culkin. Uh, <laughs> How many other Darths were on like the 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 table here that he could have ended up with? There, there was another- Nathan. Uh, this obviously gets thrown out with Maul and Tyrannus, but uh, I remember at one point reading this theory on the internet that you know the the name Vader and Sidious were connected specifically because. Sidious comes from the word insidious, and Vader comes from the word invader. As about all oh. Darth names have to be in something, but then that doesn't make sense to you. Darth in Maul, in Tyrant, <laughs> in Maul. It was a, it was a little um, stand in a stall, like selling makeup. Because <laughs> you've got red it was and a black on your face. Sport. Darth in Maul, <laughs> <laughs> and Tyrannus is you kind of remind me of a dinosaur, Tyrannosaurus yeah. Rex. <laughs> In the Tyrannus, no, Darth in the Tyrannosaurus Rex, no, Tyrannus. That's we'll just go with that. And again, he's very old. He's older than Palpatine, and we even <laughs> see that Palpatine it was kind of some ageism. 
soon I'll have a new apprentice, one much younger and more powerful. Like, <laughs> age was a thing for him. You dinosaur tyrannus. <laughs> I like my apprentices young. Mm, I yeah, like Padme Amidala. <laughs> what if that scene was like, soon I will have a new apprentice, one far younger and more handsome. <laughs> and with a nice mullet. Oh, no, shit, I should have said that. You're going to cut out now. Shit. No. Uh, no. 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 Um, you come on it. <laughs> so Sidious now sends off Anakin. He's got to go to the uh, Jedi Temple um and that he's gonna basically kill every Jedi now and then we're gonna about to get Order sixty six, but um this is all epic. Like this is some of my favourite stuff of the entire like nothing from here is bad. Like let's be honest. There's just absolute brilliance in this movie from now on. I love the shot you have of Anakin walking up the stairs with all the troops um in the robe and then there's that over overhead shot of him walking through the temple it's just epic, like just fantastic camera work here, um, and great cinematography walking through there. And this is kind of intercut with uh, the battle going on on Uta Poo Poo, um, with all the clones. Like cause he's sort of Obi Wan escapes, like he's ready to go, and he's got his trusty general sidekick, uh, his bestie, who he goes off and drinks blue milk with and stuff like that. Who all of a sudden at the the flick of a switch, when he hears about Order sixty six, um, starts shooting down poor old Obi-Wan who falls off his pterodactyl thing and into the water. <laughs> um, what was it, a verdidactyl or something like that? But we get this is the, the montage of all the Jedis getting mowed down oh, with yeah. the great music. It's fantastic. Um, we see some really cool planets here as well. We've sort of got a very almost Avatar-style planet, don't we, with those like bright flowers and everything, which is... I want to see that planet. That planet's awesome. We talk about sort of in the newer Star Wars movies how there's not really that originality when it comes to design and planet design. Like There's a couple of you know options here that we can explore a little bit more, I think, Disney. Um, but, oh, yeah, all these Jedis are just getting um, murdered left, right, and center. Poor old Yoda's about to get murdered and he's having a bit of a heart attack or a headache or something like that when he's feeling all this going down. Um, but uh, he saves himself. The maid, C-3PO, comes in after <laughs> poor old Padme staring at the uh, Jedi Temple on fire. Oh, I'm sure that Master Anakin is okay. Oh, I feel so helpless. Um, and then is this the really overly dramatic bad Natalie Portman crying yes. moment? It is, isn't oh. it? Yes. I love you, Natalie, but this is a... Very bad scene. That's a very Days of Our Lives moment. <laughs> like, it it honestly looks like she's sneezing and coughing at the same time. Like, there is nothing about it that even looks like a cry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, have we seen the sequence when Anakin's killed the younglings? Have I skipped over that when he kind of holds... No, that's in here, yeah. That's about to come up here. Um, uh, Senator Organa lands at the Jedi Temple and the clones basically tell him to go away. And this kid who comes out with a lightsaber. Now, we see him, don't we, in Attack of the Clones? Like, he's actually... That's, a, yeah, that's George Lucas' son. It is. That's right, the one okay. from the library scene. And there's a... um, Wasn't... I think I was watching a video in between this and last week. There's a cameo, I believe, in Phantom Menace of Mark Hamill's son. He's a guard at the door of Padme's room when yeah, little Anakin goes in I, there. I've never, I've never actually been able to confirm who he was but i remember even at the time you know they said oh yeah mark hamill has a cam or mark hamill's son has a cameo in this movie yeah um but the, the the sequence uh when anakin kills the younglings like 
there's a lot of memes floating around on some Star Wars pages where it's just all about like Anakin killing children. It's kind of funny, but I mean, let's be honest. It is a pretty dark scene that sort of Anakin walks into this room with all these tiny little kids, and what are they like, Master Skywalker? What's going on? Um, and then we've got that like really evil look on Anakin's face, kind of with the robe covering half of his face, and then the lightsaber comes out, and that little kid's shocked little moment. Now, you hate old people in movies. I generally hate children <laughs> in movies. So, um, let's be honest, I'm fine with this. Uh, <laughs> that little kid's annoying. Uh, how do these kids end up in the hallway later on when Obi-Wan discovers like these kids like killed by a lightsaber they were? Um, they were trying to fight back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a spin-off, the one kid who survived. Um, <laughs> so Yoda on Kashyyyk uh, gets in his little egg pod, you know, goodbye, Chewbacca. <laughs> um, that was very Blofeld to you. Goodbye, Chewbacca. <laughs> Kill Chewbacca, now. Now. <laughs> uh, so that's the last time we see Chewbacca, isn't it, until Solo, the next movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but at least at that point, it was until we saw A New Hope. Um Meanwhile, Obi-Wan escapes. Um, he's trying to find out what's going on. Uh, he gets a distress message from Senator Organa to go back, and then we have a Anakin's, Anakin scene with Padme. Um, this is a sort of uh, like, oh, I'm, I'm saving you. Or what does he say here? It's just kind of like, oh, I'm everything's okay. The Jedi have turned against the Senator or something. Doesn't he lie or something like he? Um, yeah. Yes. So, um, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Do you, do you want me to cap it here uh, so you can talk about some of the good yeah, stuff going on Yeah, this is a good here? spot. Yeah, okay. Um, I just want to talk about the youngling before I talk about <laughs> anything else, because I read this story last week before we did this. Um, so, the kid who plays the youngling, his name is Ross Biedman. Ah, And I found this story online... Uh, that he recently attended a London Comic Con. The Hayden Hayden Christensen only recently has gotten on like the Comic Con circuit, and this kid Ross Biedman is now like in his twenties, and he was attending the Comic Con and met Hayden Christensen, and um, apparently he put all these pictures up and everything. I'm actually going to send it to you uh, because in this story that you know again going back to Hayden Christensen having this great reputation of just being like the nicest guy in the world he not in the picture i'm sending you this is one where he gives the kid a big hug this one kid that he basically killed the symbol of Anakin Skywalker killing younglings <laughs> and he gets Hayden Christensen gets to meet this guy years later which by the way you look at it, Hayden Christensen still looks 21 years old which is crazy looking at this but it's such a cool story that this kid just showed up at Comic-Con and I can't imagine this is not like an actor that he was involved with much I mean really if you look at the way this scene is played out it is entirely possible they could have filmed this with just doubles and no Hayden Christensen but Hayden Christensen was actually there uh and you know 15 years later or 16 years later I guess technically you know, this kid just goes to a Comic-Con. Can you imagine Hayden Christensen? Hi, what's your name? Uh, Ross, um, I was the kid you killed in the Jedi Temple. Hey, so good to see you. <laughs> Big hug. Are you sure that kid's I not Jake people. Lloyd? That kid looks like Jake Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was symbolic why they cast him in the movie. And, and, and why? why is this kid, as a fan at Comic-Con, shouldn't he have his own table? 
I mean, God, <laughs> less lesser people have gone to Comic Cons with their own table than that kid who's actually. He has a line of dialogue in it, at least. But like, people would know that. <laughs> Star Wars fans would know that. All you'd have to say is, "I'm the youngling." That is like Master Skywalker, lots, and everyone straight away would know Why who he is. Going to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. Like he should well, have let's his own. Get him on the show. What a humbling young kid. I like this guy that he's not, you know, so like, oh, I'm going to go to Comic Cons. But also, having said that, how amazing would it be to go to Comic Con and Hayden Christensen is there? Like that's epic. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you imagine being present with Hayden Christensen and the kid he killed? Oh God! Like the universe <laughs> is imploding in itself in awesomeness. <laughs> All you need but is seriously. a jar of sand next to it, and like that. <laughs> hey, let's make a life goal that if we ever end up at a comic con with Hayden Christensen, we get him to sign a jar of sand. Yes, <laughs> I ha- I still have the sand that we saved from the Bahamas when we went on our honeymoon. <laughs> I want Hayden Christensen to sign that. I uh, when I went to um, Florida and I went to his like Cocoa Beach or whatever. It's kind of it was the beach where the astronauts would hang out before they went to the yeah. moon. Um, so my a lady I worked with at the time, she was obsessed with like space and, and astronauts and everything. So she was like, I will pay you. You like, go and get my a jar and please bring me back a jar of that sand. I want a jar of sand of that beach. So I did exactly that. I went to like Walmart and got a jar and like sat on a desk forever that she had sand from that beach. <laughs> well, like we wanted to bring some, we, for our wedding ceremony, some people do different things. The traditional thing is that you do what's called a unity candle where, the bride and groom each have one candle, and then they at the same time light a third candle together. I didn't want to do that. I thought that was stupid. I was afraid somebody would catch on fire, and I'd start laughing. But uh, <laughs> we did this thing where you you pour sand. You each have a different colored sand, and you each pour a little bit into one container. And we're, we went to the Bahamas on our honeymoon. I was like, it would be cool if we topped this off with sand from you know uh, Paradise Island or whatever. Uh, and we packed it in like this giant Ziploc bag and it was in our luggage and it was when we were going through the airport security in Nassau on the way back, like two minutes before, our bags are on the, the conveyor or whatever and suddenly I'm like, this is like an x-ray machine. All they're going to see is a giant stuffed bag of a small powdery substance. <laughs> and I'm like, are we going to suddenly get tackled as like, as like trying to smuggle cocaine? But they must see this so often as, as it's going through, they just look at us and go, Sand from Paradise Beach? You're like, yeah. And it's like, okay, on your way. <laughs> I had this moment where I started panicking. Like, oh, no, they're going to think it's like cocaine. They can't actually see it. I'm sure they do that um, like when you come back from Colombia. Oh, what's that? Cocaine from Colombia? On your way. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I thought that was such a cool story. Honestly, I'd love to try and get this guy on the show too if we could. I, I tried to find it because apparently these pictures originally, he posted them on his Instagram. His Instagram is private though, so maybe there's another way to track this guy down. Get him lined up for the Winnipeg Comic Con or something. Um, <laughs> He'd be the headline act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got someone from Star Wars, yeah. everyone. Everyone's like, oh my God, Harrison Ford, Mark <laughs> Hamill. Like, Hayden Christian, Actually, who have you got? The little kid who gets killed in Revenge of the Sith. We, we've had several of the Star Wars actors. I'll, I have a, oh, I already had a story about the guy who played Watto that I missed and the guy who played Admiral Ackbar. Um, there's another one coming up, which is probably the coolest person I met from Star Wars. That, that's going to be coming up in, uh, I guess, the next section we're going to have here. Um, but uh, it's not who you think it is. It's, it, 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 they're not known from this movie. Uh, anyways, so uh, where do we actually start here? Yeah, so the stuff on Kashyyyk. Um, there's so many great shots there. I only wish that this had been a bit bigger section. I get that this was supposed to be about the end of the war, so you need to show multiple planets. Really, we have Utapau and Kashyyyk split. 
it would have been nice to have just one sequence, whether you make it Utapau or make it Kashyyyk, and just focus on one battle, because we really only get brief glimpses of the battle here. But I guess at the same time, you know, we got that big battle opening uh, on Coruscant, and really the story is just supposed to be the personal story at this point. So I get why they didn't do it, but I would have loved to have seen more of the Wookiee stuff. Uh, as I said, I got so excited about Chewie coming back from this movie. I'm not going to say I was let down. I mean, for me, it didn't matter what you do. You showed me Chewbacca again, so I was still happy. But when you rewatch this, I can see why it's, you know, dissed by so many people. Because we get Chewie standing there holding a gun and getting zero action whatsoever. J- just give us one shot of Chewie, fi- Chewie firing that gun. Just anything. Uh, it- I guess George Lucas, you know, really just wanted to, uh, for the last time ever, involve so many of these actors. You were so pivotal to Star Wars. So he goes to Peter Mayhew. was like, I'm going to put you in a Chewbacca one more time. What can you do? Oh, you can't really move much? Okay, I'll just have you stand in there with Yoda. And that's just how he ends up in the movie. Uh, but th- you mentioned the shot with, uh, you know, them swinging. Uh, I love the one where they're coming out of a trench. That that visual, which I think was included in the first teaser trailer where you have them all rising up out of the trench and then like, <laughs> right as they're preparing for battle. That was great. Uh, I also just love the, you know, the location here of uh, like them filming in Thailand because we get those almost like uh, man with a golden gun, like caves, uh, you know, the trees and all that. Uh, there's also one other Jedi cameo here, Luminara, who was um, one of the ones I mentioned in Attack of the Clones, not the one I met, but her master, who appeared in uh, like this, the the novel that was like the prequel to Attack of the Clones. You see her here. She was the substitute. Uh, apparently, the actress didn't know this is what her role was going to be. George Lucas just brought her in and said, okay, I want you to stand there. I want you to point like there's a battle going on. And then she saw the movie and had to spot herself in the background. Wait, wait, there I am. I'm there with Yoda. Didn't even know that's what her scene was going to be. Uh, but as I already said earlier, they had wanted the Quinlan Voss character here, and they changed a lot of that around. Um, the the Tarzan yells great. Like I th- I think that's great even in Return of the Jedi. And the fact that they bring back the the Chewie's Return of the Jedi yell, and you realize this is just a thing Wookiees do. This isn't a Tarzan yell. This is a Wookiee yell. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, the scene with the uh, – I, I, well, I guess, yeah, we first have the Obi-Wan leaving scene, uh, which also plays really well because you have you know them, as you said, just saying goodbye, one last chance to be friendly together. And when you know he says goodbye, may the force be with you, you realize that that's the last time we're ever going to hear may the force be with you. And Obi-Wan leaves and there's this look on Anakin's fa- face, which is like he's not quite there where he realizes, okay, I'm turning to the dark side. It's almost like, okay, this was goodbye. I'm, I'm probably going to go in a direction one way or the other, whether I just have to leave with Padme and go into hiding. One way or the other, it was almost like this was his goodbye to Obi-Wan. But then we get the scene with Padme where you get like, Obi-Wan was here, <laughs> the jealousy. That was a, a deleted subplot in a way. There's only a few moments they had to keep in here, but it was supposed to be a bigger part of the story where Anakin – thought that Padme was having an affair and this would have been played like a love triangle only from Anakin's eyes Hmm. and that's why we have that moment later on where he's like you brought him here to kill me um I think they salvage it in a way where it's more like his jealousy of Obi-Wan almost like a professional jealousy of Obi-Wan because like Obi-Wan's on the council Obi-Wan wasn't much older isn't much older than Anakin you know he's on the council oh we're gonna give Obi-Wan the mission you have Anakin having that moment where we're gonna send him to Utapau instead and Anakin's like Obi-Wan again so you can view it either way but it was originally intended to be like 
Obi-Wan, is it his baby? Could you tell Obi-Wan? Is that who you can tell? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and then when Grievous has all the Separatist leaders, I like that uh, this is where he says, I am sending you to the Mustafar system. It is a volcanic planet. You will be safe there. <laughs> Which makes it all the better that he tells him, it is the most dangerous place in the galaxy. You will be safe there. Uh, and then we have Newt, Newt Gunray freaking out. I was like, safe. You know, I have uh, doubts that you could lead us without Count Dooku. Um but even if you look at the background, they have all the other characters, like that robot guy you mentioned, like, <laughs> that was there in Attack of the Clones. They have the same characters here. So, you know, there's some consistency uh, with all the background extras. Um, Obi-Wan, when he gets to Utapal, I also like the look of that guy, too. Uh, you know, he's like seven feet tall. I don't know if that's like the actor himself was really tall, but it's like this towering creature. And plus, he looks sinister. So... You know, when he's basically begging Obi-Wan for help, I like to sometimes fill in the backstories with Star Wars because that, that's one of the things George Lucas does is he creates these backstories for everybody, even if it's just a person you see in the background, like some guy in the background in the Phantom Menace. Saying, hmm, I'm going to say this was another Jedi who was actually there on a secret mission and, you know, uh, couldn't reveal to Qui-Gon, hey, I'm here, I can help you. And he turns him into this massive comic character. But I actually like to think of Utapau as one of the separatist systems. Like, this is where he's hiding because the whole idea of a separatist movement is that all these other planets are saying, we want to leave the Republic. Oh, we want to leave the Republic too. Okay, let's all join forces and leave the Republic. And now Grievous is hiding there and they're having second thoughts. So Obi-Wan shows up and they're like, we're so sorry we did this. Please <laughs> let us back in the Republic. Which, you know, it, it's funny to think of it that way, but that would be the real story. This is a guy who sided with Grievous and now is like, he's watching us. Please help us. And then the did he say he was sending reinforcements? He didn't say. Like, They're the Quebec of like, planets. They're like, uh-huh, we're yeah, exactly. Canada. We want to come back now. <laughs> They're watching us. <laughs> the French. <laughs> the French. Um, uh, where am I at here? Oh, yeah, so I'll just cover all the stuff on Utapau here. It's easier than <laughs> look at my notes every few seconds. Uh, yeah, Obi-Wan, like, hiding in the shadows. This is back to Detective Obi-Wan <laughs> from <laughs> Attack of the Clones. He's, he's now turned to, like, spy Obi-Wan here, which is great. I have the same reaction. Like, there's something kind of weird about seeing him on the dragon. And I do get why George Lucas did it. It's the same reason he wanted the primitive planet for Return of the Jedi. You know, he wanted these futuristic people to be in settings that would be unusual for them. So let's see a Jedi having to ride that. That's why we had Qui-Gon, you know, riding on that weird thing on Tatooine and uh, stormtroopers going all the way back to a new hope. That's why he wanted stormtroopers on Dubaks because he wanted, you know, this combination of what would it be like if he had these futuristic soldiers and you put them in an environment where they don't have their technology, but it looks weird to me. And even weirder, this is jumping ahead a bit, but, the uh, the the chase scene with Grievous, that was the one where Jamie's like, I just love the way this looks. I love him riding on that thing and this chase. But I actually don't really care for that sequence because what's missing from it is everything that Return of the Jedi had in the, the speeder bike chase, which is the environment being used. You have these two guys fighting at this incredible speed on these vehicles, and they're not looking where they're going. It just it feels <laughs> weird to me. Like, I, I want to see 
more than even if it's only a 30 45 second scene i want to see even just one moment where obi-wan goes to hit grievous and suddenly he has to swerve out of the way with something but the, there's no sense of the environment in that sequence so it's one of the few action scenes that i actually think they missed on um but yeah when obi-wan actually drops in like the hello there i just remember that getting like applause seeing that in theater the first time which is why it's like obviously that was meant to because that's alec guinness's first line so let's give obi-wan the line the hello there which <laughs> in a weird way ewan mcgregor delivers that line better than alec guinness like yeah. i'm saying it it's because there's a humor to it and it you know grievous is obviously like the most dangerous bad guy in the galaxy now that dooku's gone but obi-wan comes in here it's like i'm gonna mess with this guy a little bit and even in the way that the 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 bodyguards approach him and obi-wan strikes like this battle pose and then as they're coming at him like vroom vroom he uses the force to lower that thing on them that's totally the raiders of the lost dark sword guy yeah you know we're gonna get into this big sword fight all right and boom i'm just gonna shoot you and oh i'm just gonna lower this thing on you uh and then the way that him and grievous play off each other is so much fun uh, where you know he says your move, Grievous. <laughs> <laughs> He's just making this a game, and then Grievous with the lightsabers is interesting too because they'd revealed him in the the original Clone Wars micro series. That's where people got to see him for the first time with multiple arms and these lightsabers spinning everywhere. That's where the idea of him collecting the lightsabers came from. Um, but they found it too challenging when they got to the movie. The animators were like, "How do we actually?" animate this to make it look like a real battle and the choreographers were like how do we choreograph ewan mcgregor fighting four arms and george lucas is like how do i do this battle scene with four arms and then have obi-wan actually on equal ground with him so they they came up with this idea for grievous and i honestly believe had they not done that with the animated series we may not have gotten four arms or six arm whatever grievous because this just became so problematic that the reason obi-wan cuts off his arms so quickly was because of like this is too challenging. Let's just cut two arms off right away. So it's interesting to think that if they had not done that, then creatively this would just would have evolved to yeah take some of his arms off. Let's just make him two armed. <laughs> um, but but one thing I really wanted to point out was when Grievous is spinning like the helicopter blade thing, like you said, and is cutting the ground. I have no idea why. I, I have these movies on in the background. Casper could not care less other than just listening to the music when the opening credits are playing. When Grievous is spinning those lightsabers, he was laughing hysterically like it was the funniest thing he had ever seen. And I really wish I could have gotten a video. But he, he found it, like, so funny that he was, like, almost in tears rolling on the ground. He actually was on the ground going, ah! <laughs> like, I'm, I laughing, was, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I'm <laughs> laughing. And then Grievous dies. I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> um you mentioned when they zoom in on Grievous's eye. Talk about some of the great animation in this movie. Um, Grievous has an eye twitch that you can only really notice if you're looking closely in a zoom in like that. You know, he's saying like, you know, army or not, you're doomed and you're just looking at his eyes. And there's actually like this twitch going on, which is so subtle. It's just it's the exact opposite of what I complained about the Phantom Menace where they over animated the subtle, you know, body movements and twitches that people have with jar jar here it's so subtle that you can really just appreciate it on like a you know 18th viewing or whatever it is um when the clones drop into this battle scene uh this is something else interesting for all the stuff on utapau here when you see the, the the clones because uh when attack of the clones came out you know they were animating this you know 
just the way they would animate anything else. So let's have this guy hold the gun and they would do whether it was motion capture or just for reference, the animators doing it. When this one came around, George was like, I really want them to come across more like soldiers and special forces. So they got a real former Navy SEAL to come in to whether they did it as motion capture or just videotaped him for reference. He did all these moves that you see these clones doing. And there's a great moment where one of the clones jumps on the back of uh, whether it was a droid or a creature or something like that. And he, he jumps on the back and he sort of like just starts firing away. They just told this former Navy SEAL, show us what it would be like in battle. And then they use that. So the clones actually are modeled after real special forces now when you see this movie. Hmm. And also, again, it's all animated. Like some of the best you know CGI in these movies, the clone troopers, the suit, the only thing that's real is when the helmet comes off. Temuar Morrison, his face is real. But on set, he was wearing a blue suit. And then they animated like all the armor. Not one. They've even said in all the making ups, we didn't build one helmet for these movies. Everything you see was completely computer generated. So when people criticize the CGI on these movies, and then there's stuff like this they don't even realize is completely computer generated. That's when you're like, okay, they obviously did some things right here. Um, so all of Obi Wan stuff, you know, he loses his lightsaber after the Order sixty six thing. They have this funny the, the, the common thread of Jedi losing their lightsabers in the original trilogy. Um, but the Anakin stuff, like you said, it's some of the strongest stuff in the movie. Uh, you know, whether it's Hayden Christensen's performance or just the drama of it, um, I love uh, when Anakin is even that scene with Padme. You know, where he's saying like, you know, I've discovered this power. I feel lost. There's a few moments in there where it's still bad, but then there's a moment like where he says, "I feel lost. Uh, I, you know, want more." Po- what was the exact line? Like, um, uh, more, more power. I- more power <laughs> but it's something like that he goes you know i i want more and, and i know i shouldn't i'm not the jedi i should be it's actually it, it it really gets you into anakin's head where you realize it is you kind of made fun of like yoda this is the path to the dark side where he says fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering and he, earlier on in the Attack of the Clones version, or the Attack of the Clones version of that was uh, something else, but the Revenge of the Sith version of that same speech was uh, attachment leads to jealousy, the shadow of greed this is. And that's really what happened. He had this attachment to Padme where he prioritized her over everybody else he was supposed to protect. That leads to jealousy, whether it be Obi-Wan or whatever else. And then it leads to greed. I need to hold on to this. So there's some smite, some smite, sarcological stuff. Smite, smarkological what i really wish we had t-shirts where we could do like darth reggie and spite smarkological on a t-shirt spite smarkological darth spite smarkological yep yep i understand but but there's like some really good psychological stuff in here um that's written into the movie the palpatine turn two, like the way that Ian McDermott can go from, you know, oh, they asked you to spy on me. It's like, use my knowledge, I beg you. And then all of a sudden it's like, only through me can you achieve a power greater than any Jedi. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like two separate characters because he really has played two separate characters up until this point. Um, th- that scene where they're walking through the hallway, that weird sculpture on the wall, that actually, in, in the set design, they said we wanted this to be uh, like art of ancient jedi versus sith battles to kind of show the transition of 
when he's on one side of the office, Anakin's still on the light side. Now when you come in here, it's the dark side. Uh, you know, there is a bad line where Anakin suddenly pulls out his lightsaber and goes, You're the Sith Lord! <laughs> <laughs> I got you now! No shit, but Sherlock. <laughs> but otherwise, like... One of Hayden Christensen's best moments in this movie is where you know he says, you know, uh, you, you can if you use my power, or whatever, you could save your wife from certain death. And he has this moment. He goes, "What did you say?" Like, <laughs> like it, it's actually really haunting watching Hayden Christensen's performance like evolve throughout this movie because there's so much going on right there where it's like, okay, so that's the first time that he realizes my secret's not safe anymore. So, okay, do I go along with this because is this guy going to spill the beans? Is it just because he said my wife and now, oh, yeah, I forgot about her? Like, there's a lot going on in these scenes here that, again, this movie doesn't get enough credit for. Um, The scene with Mace is not good at all for Samuel Jackson. Uh, And, yeah, there's bad dialogue. But, again, some actors work with bad dialogue and some don't. When he's like, uh, no, stay here. I sense a great amount of fear in you, Skywalker. If what you've told me is true, then you will have gained my trust. But until then, stay here. It's just, it's, it just sounds wrong. It's delivered wrong. There's no urgency. Like, he's like, I've learned that uh, the Chancellor is a Sith Lord. He goes, a Sith Lord? <laughs> <laughs> like, the way he says that. He's like, damn, like, son. I want something more than... A Sith Lord? <laughs> a Sith and then Lord? Like, then he's like, hmm, then our worst fears are realized. We must move quickly. Let's. Uh, I That scene will be the one exception of everything was good from that point on. Uh, but yeah, I love the back and forth between Anakin and Padme. I really wish the soundtrack had the music from this sequence when Anakin leaves to go find him and the whole confronting Palpatine, Mace confronting Palpatine, the... Um, uh, the, the the I am the Senate part the fight scene the music's great um, the lightsaber stuff came in very late in this movie uh, originally it was not supposed to be Palpatine with a lightsaber it, that was supposed to be reserved for the Yoda later on he wasn't supposed to fight here and Ian McDermott even though he embraced everything with us like he had more fun than he'd ever had as an actor in his life he hated the idea of the lightsaber because he had no time to train and th- this was thrown together in like one or two days. Like, okay, do this move, which is one of the reasons why the lightsaber stuff with Palpatine looks kind of cheesy. And you have a lot of up close shots of him just swinging it back and forth because they just came up with it last minute, and had no idea how they were going to put it together. But when you get to the fight scene with Mace, that shot where they both swing their lightsabers and both crack the window at the same time, like w- one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. And then you got the wind coming in. The way that Ian McDermott plays when Anakin comes into the room, it, it, it goes from he's beaten, you know, it's like, oh, no, the Jedi are trying to take over. And then he gets angry. You will die with the lightning. And then it's like, I'm too weak. He's doing so many things there. And it's all just to to mess with Anakin. It's all to kind of throw him off balance. He's like, I'm powerful. No, I'm weak. No, I'm scared. No, I'm strong. And again, it's just it's so smart that the, the character has enough going on where the turn for Anakin makes sense when you watch how Palpatine manipulates the situation. And I think one of the best unanswered questions, and this is why I said about I love the mystery of Palpatine where you don't answer too much, is did Mace really beat him or did he sense Anakin's coming? So I'm going to drop to the floor as if I'm beaten because then I know if I play weak, Anakin will need to save me. How much of this was him playing along just for the sake of turning Anakin and how much of it was actually, you know, him getting beaten by Mace Windu? And then the other part of it being when Mace 
you know, is basically saying, you know, we need to end this now. He he starts the scene with you're under arrest, Chancellor, and he ends it with no, you know, the oppression of Seth will never return. You know, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. You're like, Jamie even said it when she was watching with me. Is, is Mace kind of turning here too? Like you said that earlier, like Mace Windu gets a little dark here and it actually leaves the question open when Anakin is turned. You can see it from Anakin's point of view. And I think that's one of the other subtle things that's never get enough credit for. Anakin's turn matters because he does believe the Jedi were in the wrong. And in a way, the Jedi are in the wrong because, you know, it's not the Jedi way. Anakin was right there. Obviously, Anakin does his own thing here. <laughs> I think I mentioned this, too, in one of the uh, er- earlier episodes we had when I was so excited to see Anakin turn. And the whole time the scene was playing, I was like giddy. I was like giggling. I'm like, yes, yes, this is it. And then that moment where he cuts off his arm and Mace dies and then Hayden Christensen has that incredible moment. He's like, what have I done? I actually turn. I'm like, I feel like a piece of garbage all of a sudden. Like, I really regret <laughs> getting excited for this. Because there's there's a lot of real good emotion in that scene. And you see Palpatine. We actually see Anakin weak. It is not what you expect. And there's been so much criticism for Anakin not being portrayed the way the fans wanted. And I feel like this is one of these examples where it's like, if you gave the fans what they wanted with this, I don't think it would have been as powerful as Anakin actually being weak here. And when he's suddenly like, he's like gasping for breath. He's like, I'll do whatever you ask. Just please say Padme's life. You realize he's choosing now to turn to the dark side just to save Padme. It's not even, obviously there is that underlying thing about his lust for power, but it's not even about that. It's just please save Padme. And when you see the tear later on, when we get to that, when he, when he's crying later on, you realize like, Anakin actually does have remorse, and that's going to be really important when we get to Return of the Jedi for why he'll turn back, because Anakin never made the choice for greed. There was greed in it, but he made the choice to try to save somebody, and then it was just too late to turn back, um, which leads into you know the, the Jedi Temple, which I just want to—I wish I could quote every line Palpatine has here, where he's like, you know, do, do what it. must be done. Yeah, <laughs> do not hesitate, show no mercy. And then uh, how, how many people— have quoted the execute order 66 like that's become one of those quotable lines that never should have been um and, and just introducing the whole idea of order 66 well how will you know they turn on him we'll go back to attack of the clones when they'll you know be programmed to take any command and probably the best series of episodes the clone wars animated series ever had was in the last season where one clone trooper had order 66 kick in too early and he started killing jedi and then it was like this inquisition, like, oh, should he be destroyed or should we study him to find out what went wrong? Uh, I just love the whole idea of the, the Order 66 and, you know, all those shots we get with the, the Jedi, as you said, being taken out. Uh, we get the last cameos, so many of them, my favorite, Kiati, the Conehead guy, Kiati Mundi, you know, with his one-handed lightsaber combat and the snows coming down and just the music. I, everybody's going to have their favorite John Williams theme like the imperial march or duel of the fates but if you're going to talk about just a single piece of music and how perfectly it fits the emotion of the scene there's really only two scenes i can think of that john williams has composed for these movies where the music is so important the the music where uh, yoda is raising the ship out of the swamp mm-hmm. in empire strikes back that moment and then this moment here the, 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 the sadness in this music and the fact that they played this slaughter of Jedi over like this really quiet, soft music. It's just a brilliant choice. And I'll actually go as far as to say that I think that Revenge of the Sith might be John Williams' greatest score ever. Um, and, you know, it's not just as a Star Wars fan, but just all around. The, one of the greatest scores he's ever composed. And this music alone, 
I think, kind of proves that. Everything about the sequence is incredible. I mean, the, the storming of the Jedi Temple, you mentioned when he's got that shot walking up the stairs, and the subtlety of the fact that there's a light that's shining the direction they're walking in, like the light coming from inside the temple is actually lighting the path they're walking, where it's, it's, it's almost like this you know, subliminal message of Anakin's on a path he can't turn away from now. The, the 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 slaughtering of the kids, you know, the way that that scene's played, yeah, it's kind of funny because the kid, what are we going to do? But the fact that, you know, you see that look on Hayden Christensen, then you just see the lightsaber and they cut away. It's just awesome. And then when the clones are, you know, telling, you know, Bail Organa, like, go away. And, uh, you know, um, there's been a rebellion. And you just realize he gets it. He's like, oh, okay. And I just love that. that, that, It's time for you to go. And so it is. (laughs) And then when he sees them kill the kid, like, again, Jimmy Smith's for such a small part, such good acting in this movie. I could go on all day about this, this, just this one sequence. We could do a whole episode just on the turn of Darth Vader and the slaughter of the Jedi. And I feel we could have filled three hours just on that. It's so good. I agree. Um, Me so, too. <laughs> it's <even>. episode over. No, no, no. Goodbye there. Um, I'll I'll lump a lot of this into, and maybe we'll kind of um just take a bit of a thing in the middle before we get to the big final battle. But we get um sort of Obi Wan here. They and it, what do they call these ships? This is kind of like the rebellion ship, isn't it? From the opening of A New Hope. Um, yeah. Well, it, its name is the Tantive Four, Princess Leia ship, right? Yeah. Um, which yeah, one thing that I always remembered about loving about this movie, and we talked about earlier how like you know this was at the time the holding position until the beginning of a new hope. Um, so like one of my favorite scenes coming up, sort of on the on the bridge of the Star Destroyer when we sort of see the um, Death Star being built. But like this is like one of those moments where I think kind of every Star Wars fan really would have gotten a little bit giddy when you see them walking down the hall of this ship oh. because this is just. Straight away, you're like you're into a new hope, aren't you? Um, kind of the yeah. way this ship, the look and the interior and everything about it, like is just incredible. Um, so we have Organa, um, Obi Wan, and Yoda walking through and sort of having a conversation about uh, what they can do. There's a distress signal coming from the Jedi Temple, but uh, you know whether or not that's a a, um, a a play basically to get the remaining Jedi left in the galaxy to come there so they can be murdered. So their plan basically is they're going to go there and try and uh, find the source of the signal to change it to uh, warn mm-hmm. the Jedi from uh, coming there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, do we still call him Anakin? I mean, he's Darth Vader now, isn't he? Anakin! Anakin! Vader! Um, <laughs> Vader's getting Reggie! Ready- <laughs> Reggie's getting ready to go to Mustafar. <laughs> Um, Sidious is telling all the, uh, the, the leaders of the separatist movement, basically, who are still chilling on volcanic planet. Um, <laughs> this is a volcanic planet. <laughs> they're all just chilling there that, uh, he sent his new apprentice, Darth Vader, to, uh, to help them out. Um, Vader arrives on the planet, looking all, uh, is when he tells R2 to go wait in the ship as well? Like, oh no, R2, you can't see me murdering senseless people? Like, Protecting poor old R2. I love the way when he walks into the room, though, and kind of like Newt or Room, whichever one it is, he's like, oh, I don't know why he sounds like that, but he does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> Good for him. Uh, and then Vader basically just closes the door with that evil look on his face. There's a, there's a really awesome shot coming up, which I love the look on his Plus face. Plus, you get the Imperial March playing there. You're like, dun, 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 when he closes the door. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obi-Wan and Yoda are killing clones outside the Jedi Temple. We've got the Senate going on. Uh, everyone's favorite part of all the Star Wars um, prequels. Uh, and Sidious is, you know, saying that the Jedi have risen up to attack the Republic and they've attacked me. Look at my face. I'm ugly. Um, he doesn't really say that, but he may as well. Um, there are lots of these scenes intercut with each other, but I might have kind of like lumped <laughs> some of them in together. So this is where he basically says, in order to protect ourselves, we're going to form the first galactic empire. <laughs> and then your favorite. For a life. safe and secure <laughs> society. <laughs> And then your favourite line of, so this is how liberty yeah. dies, with thunderous surprise. Why do you hate that line? Like, I actually think Natalie Portman delivers that line quite well. Like, I, I think- don't. It's just, there's a, I don't know, there's just an arrogance with the way she delivers it. You know, you're, okay, I'm sure everybody has this in real life. Um, you know when people get political about things, even if you agree with the person or their political stance, when they just get, like, obnoxiously political... <laughs> It gets annoying. She's That's a kind of the way I feel here. Colin, like <laughs> I know, but politi- what is if you love all politicians? <laughs> yes, they're all human beings, and I love all human beings except for the French. No, it's like I mean, we we talked about this in our in our Oscars, uh, you know, watches and everything. When when people would get political in their Oscar acceptance speech, you're like, even if you agree with what they're saying, you're like, come on, do you really need? To- <laughs> it's just the way she delivers it. I think part of it is, you know, obviously Natalie Portman is one of those people who, especially when she's not so much anymore, but when she was younger, she was almost obnoxious in her political opinions. And even if you didn't, or even if you did agree with her stance on things, she just, she tended to just go too far. I mean, she's put her foot in her mouth more than anybody in Hollywood, really, not just on politics, but on anything else. And the way she delivered that, it was, it fed into a lot of the... Do you remember people trying to draw parallels to this in the Bush administration? Yeah. Yep. Which George Lucas himself was like, this story was, you know, created during the 70s. I mean, that was, you know, Nixon's era. And not to mention it's based on, like, you know, uh, old Roman stuff. And you, could, if you're going to draw parallels to anything, who was the only president of the United States that, you know, held on to his power for additional terms during a war, it was FDR. So are you going to say, well, George Lucas is doing this about FDR? I mean, <laughs> it would make more sense than Bush. But Natalie Portman delivering that line, the way she she doesn't have that much emotion in anything else in this movie. So you know there was her being like, I'm going to take a stab at George Bush because that's what this movie's about. And it's just, oh, it's too much. The good old days when Bush was the only problem in the world. Like, oh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Innocent times of the world that Bush was a problem. Everybody's lovable uncle. Um, <laughs> really is. I, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to say that I like George Bush. I don't know anything about his politics, but I was a kid and David Letterman did a funny segment on him every night, so he seemed funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so basically, yeah, they're going to go off and kill all the Jedi as well. We should mention that bit too. Um, one thing I, I will add to this in New Hope as well, like everyone complains about the Senate and everything. Like, uh, do people forget that there is like a whole reference to the Senate being completely shut down in A New Hope? Like that. It's, it- that. Well, let's also add in A New Hope, 
that whole boardroom scene was a Senate scene. And it is probably still the longest dialogue scene in the history of the Star Wars saga. And all it is is old men around a table talking about politics. Yeah, exactly. But it's fine because it's a new hope. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, we get uh, Vader killing all the the people. Uh, well, they're not all people. Some of them are aliens. Uh, and then what is it? Is it Newt or Rune is basically like, but we've brought peace. I don't understand. Uh, Old Sidious promised us peace. And then, boom, kills him. Chop right across the chest. One of my favorite shots in all of all of the Star Wars movies is just that shot when they kind of zoom in on um, Anakin Vader's oh. face and he's got, like, the yellow eye, yellow eye kind of, like, going through the hood. Like, oh, epic. And the music that goes along with it, like, it's just so goddamn good. Like, he's gone now. He's completely turned. Um, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a Maple Leaf supporter now. He's evil. Um, <laughs> well, Hayden Christensen would be. <laughs> this, this, this is how Maple Leaf supporters become a thing. It's like, you know, him killing all the other teams. Go away, Red Wings. Go away. Sa- no one goes with the Sabres. Go, go this away. Is how Stanley Cup, this is how Stanley Cup dreams die with thunderous applause. <laughs> all these Leafs say, let's go, Leafs. Um, <laughs> so, meanwhile, the Jedi Temple, they're doing their investigating, they find dead younglings. Not by laser blast, a lightsaber wound this is. Um, is he not just the the maid from, uh, the butler from Spider-Man? I know a glider wound yeah. when I see one. <laughs> I know a lightsaber wound when I see one. <laughs> Clean this younglings wound I did the night he died. How does Obi-Wan not Told know the difference as well? Like, come on, like, it's sort of... Kind of oh yeah, he's he's killed way more people than Yoda has. <laughs> uh, Obi Wan puts the message in, and then I will say like, there's a bit of hammy acting here from uh, Ewan McGregor when it's like, yeah, I must know. Um, and he kind of goes and watches the footage, and no, he's... no, it can't be. It's very <laughs> soap opera. Yeah, it is. It's not the best. Um, why don't they just show this footage to the Senate? <laughs> 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 30, 40, 50 years of oppression by the Galactic Empire is solved right here, Obi-Wan. Like, and Yoda's a bit dumb here too. Like, you know, like, solve this, we could. No, it's just like, you know, be mindful of your feelings. You will know he's hiding in the galaxy. Show this footage. It's damning evidence. Like, just pop it on YouTube. It'll be viral in an hour. Like, what is the problem? Like, Padme's still on your side? Like, hey, Padme, yeah. um, just a little thing. Want to show this? Like, if Donald Trump <laughs> tomorrow is all like, oh, I'm going to, it's a dictatorship, and there's a footage of, like, Donald Trump ordering, I don't know, Bernie Sanders to, like, kill kids, and it's on video. Like, everyone in the, like, US Congress is going to be like, oh, no, 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 not going to happen. Like, off to jail, yeah. Donald. Um I know Bernie Sanders isn't a Republican for all those people who are going to message us in. Like, I'm not dumb. Well, but Ed, that's the thing. Palpatine was not a separatist, True. but he was. True. And he was not a Sith, but he was. He converted. Are you trying to say that, you're trying to say that Bernie Sanders was really a Republican? Darth Is that Bernie. the real message of this movie? <laughs> Darth, <laughs> Darth Bernie. <laughs> right, Darth Bernie. Um, there's a town in Tasmania called Bernie. Henceforth used to be known as Darth Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could always be called Colonel Sanders. Uh, <laughs> um, oh. so, so, so that's a very erotic sound, Colin. Oh, 
<laughs> I just kept thinking about like, man, there's another thing we get a whole episode out of is just henceforth your name should be known as Darth. Fill in the blank. Henceforth your name should be known as Darth Noah. <laughs> Darth Noah. How would that turn out? Oh, I'm from Snug. I'm gonna kill the plants. Henceforth, your name shall be known as Darth Rossi. <laughs> Darth Oslitz, the origin story. <laughs> you shall be known as Darth Cable. Oh, fellas! <laughs> uh, let's give a shout out here. Henceforth, your name shall be known as Darth Chris Dixon. <laughs> we know you're yes. listening, Chris. Somebody wanted Star Wars. Chris, you'll appreciate that. Uh, you can you have your, your Darth Chris Dixon. That's what we all want. <laughs> Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Nook Chester. Uh, <laughs> we'll use this to lure back some of our you know long-gone listeners. Like, Catherine, you know, you were the biggest Star Wars fan and the biggest Survivor Oz fan. We don't hear from you anymore. We're doing Star Never. Wars on an Oz show. I think she's doing we will her own give podcast you a head now, isn't she? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure she's, you know, coming up with Darth names for all of her <laughs> listeners right now. But we will give you a henceforth. Your name shall be known as if you prove to us you still listen to our show. If we ever do a spin-off of the spin-off that is the Oz Network, we will call the podcast Darth Podcast. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Riley. Oh, Jared. <laughs> Darth Jared. Flog. Darth Other Jared. (laughs) (laughs) Insert Jared Lubick quote here. (laughs) I unblocked Ben for spoiling the amazing... (laughs) You shall be known as Darth Billy Garcia. Hashtag bring back Billy. (laughs) This is why we go five hours. (laughs) This is our shortest one yet, Colin. We're only, I think, just over four hours at the moment. We're doing well. Uh, We spent more time giving people henceforth your name shall be known as than we did talking about Anakin's turn to the dark side. All right, speaking of which, um, (laughs) so Yellow Eyes, he's killed people. Padme's dropping some crappy one-liners that Colin doesn't like. Um, Yoda sends off, you know... You know, Dick Yoda, like, search your feelings. Do you know where he is? If he could search his feelings and knew he was evil in the first place, he wouldn't need to look at the footage, Yoda. Um, give him <laughs> a bit of a help, mate. Um, so Obi-Wan does a detective work and goes off to see Padme, who, okay, how much time does Revenge of the Sith take place over? Because, like, she's fully pregnant now. Like, is this a nine-month spread this movie takes place on? Like, is it ever explained? Well, I mean, she's nine months pregnant when the movie starts. Oh, right. So Anakin's dumb. Like, you're putting on weight, Padme. Like, no well, he has you know, Because remember, he says he's been gone for so long. Oh, whatever. Like, he would never. <laughs> Clearly don't. You know, you're the one who always has to explain to me the birds and the bees. Do I have to explain to you what pregnancy is? Star Wars is different, all right? Time works different. Uh, um, And we know what happens with other pregnant women in the galaxy. Like, oh, I... Don't know who the father was. I can't explain it. Yeah, right, Shmi. No one's believing you. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, so Obi-Wan shows up and basically tells Padme that he's turned, Anakin's turned to the dark side. What's Padme wearing? She's got like a weird metal bird trap in her hair or something like that in a rug. Um, <laughs> so she doesn't believe it. Uh, and then um, he basically, Obi-Wan's just like, Anakin is the father, isn't he? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Sort of catches on a little bit and he says, I am so sorry. And then walks off. But it's the whole thing's a ruse. He's, he's going to get on the ship and hide away with Panic pa- That's their couple Pan- name. Panikin. Panikin. Darth Panikin. We get a shot of uh, Anakin. This is where he's crying, isn't he? Overlooking uh, Mustafa, volcanic planet. Yeah. Um, it's a volcanic planet. <laughs> the one Jay Lagaya scene, basically, well, the one Jay Lagaya dialogue scene in this one when uh, Padme is running away to the ship. Um, he says he shouldn't do it. She she shouldn't do it. Imagine if she had listened to Jay Lagaya. Then, if she had listened, Luke and Leia would have had a mother. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moral of Star Wars: Listen to Jay Lagaya. Uh, <laughs> then Luke and Leia wouldn't have been orphans. Um, Obi-Wan sneaks on board on the ship. Padme flies away. Uh, Yoda confronts uh, Sidious as Padme lands on the planet. Now, I feel like I might just pause here after um, yeah, Padme and Anakin sort of com- confrontation because this just reminds me so much of the Jimmy Fallon MTV movie awards <laughs> skit. Like, I can't watch this without thinking of that one. Like, you killed younglings. No, I killed at younglings. Um, <laughs> hilarious. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment, but maybe we'll just cap those couple of scenes there so we can kind of close out with the, the battles and everything else. Uh, I'm with you. When we got to see, you know, the tent of four set, it's the same reaction I had when we got to see Owen and Beru's garage in attack of the clones. Like, like you didn't, I don't even think we necessarily expected to see that ship. I mean, I might've known it would make an appearance, but you're basically seeing the same corridor, which is great. And when it appears later on, it's even more, you know, nostalgia. And again, Jimmy Smith's is really good in this movie. He really doesn't have much to do. It just, what a great man. Oh, <laughs> that's a man. That's a man. I want to see that's a man right on a there. pterodactyl. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned last week, you know, my mom loved Jimmy Smith. So uh, she would be very happy to hear me praising Jimmy Smith right now. Now that's a man. <laughs> you know, Vanessa Redgrave likes Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> um, but funny enough, like as I was quizzing... Jamie, I'm like, what about Hayden Christensen? Nah, no, nah, there's just something about him I don't like. Nah. And then I mentioned Jimmy Smith's. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the. She's like, oh, isn't that the guy your mom really liked? I'm like, yeah, my mom was in love with him. And she's like, yeah, he's okay. I'm like, Jimmy Smith's over Hayden Christensen? Really? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's warranted. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair, right? Yeah. Like, my, you know. my mom would have agreed. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, when they discover this code or whatever, uh, even that, I kind of like, it, it seems like such a cheap plot device to get them back there, but what other reason would they have to go back? I mean, we saw the original trilogy that the Jedi had to run and hide for a good reason. You know, they're being hunted down. There's no reason they would go back to Coruscant. It's not like, we got to go and stop this now. Yoda says it best in the later scene was like, you know, you're not strong enough to beat the Emperor or whatever. Um, the fact that they have to go back to, to decode this thing 
it also set up the only thing George Lucas did have planned post Revenge of the Sith for Star Wars, which is he had the animated series, which was supposed to be the Clone Wars, like in between these movies. And he already, I think, had semi announced that they were going to be doing a live action TV series that would be between three and four, uh, which the early rumors of that was that, you know, it would be about the um, the Jedi that survived or, or, you know, whether Obi-Wan would be involved or not, it would be looking for the surviving Jedi. And uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, at some point they they even said that Palpatine or that Ian McDermott was going to have a role on the show. They're like, Vader and Emperor will be there, although they're not going to have like a strong presence. Uh, I think that would have been a great show to see, you know, whether it had been the Jedi or not. Because I think eventually the series they worked on was Star Wars Underworld, which was going to be more about like the crime boss. It would be like the godfather of the Star Wars universe, but maybe they would have been incorporated. I still wish we had gotten that show, or maybe they, one day they released some scripts for it. Um, you know, They did eventually release a book on the cancelled season 7 of the Clone Wars series. I'm sure they have that. I, I, I guarantee they at least wrote some scripts for the Star Wars you know, TV series, but we never got to see it. But it serves a purpose of getting them back to the planet, but that also was the setup for what was going to come after this, the TV series. I, I really regret we can't see this, especially when I rewatch this now, and I know it'll never happen, thanks, Disney. Um, <laughs> although I guess in a way we get it with the solo movie, which we'll get into next week. But um, yeah, when they go back there, uh, the the ship that they're uh, when we already know about the ship they're on, but the pilot of the ship, when uh, Masameda, Palpatine's right-hand man, appears on the screen talking to uh, Bail Organa, uh, the, the guy who says, you know, we're receiving a message from Coruscant, the, the gray-headed pilot guy, that's Jeremy Bullock, who played Boba Fett in the original movies. Oh. Uh, and he was the guy that I met at a Comic-Con, uh, which I still say to this day, probably one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like, he was just an absolute riot to listen to. And he sat there and talked to me for, like, five minutes, too. Um, and... Uh, like, nicest guy, but also, like, just really funny. Same thing I said, similar to, like, the guy who played Admiral Akbar. These guys have the small parts in the movies. You, you wonder why. Like, they have so much personality, and you just shove them behind a mask. Uh, but it, he was one of those actors, like Peter Mayhew. It was like, we're going to give you a place in this movie because you're very important to Star Wars. But, you know, Boba Fett's dead, so you're going to get to be this pilot. Um, I don't even know who the second guy in the co-pilot seat is, but, uh, you know. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of little cameos like that in there. It's just Jeremy Bullock's one of the few ones that I actually know about. Um, the scene where they're killing all the clone troopers in, in, in the temple, getting back in, the controversial shot in there where Yoda throws the lightsaber through the guy's chest, that actually was controversial. They were worried that this movie would maybe be – the rating would be bumped up as a result of somebody being stabbed through the chest and they kind of narrowly escaped it. But apparently there was even more footage in here. Like this was longer than, you know, the 22nd scene it is. And there was a lot of fighting stuff in the temple here, which we're getting to see Yoda in action, which is great. Cause you know, it, it's so funny to go from attack of the clones where seeing Yoda in action was treated as something special. And now three years later, you're seeing Yoda in action. You're still getting excited about it. It's like, Oh yeah, that's Yoda with a lightsaber. Like, it's just normal now, and that when some people still to this day try to complain about Yoda in the fighting scene, saying, "Oh, it's stupid. They shouldn't have done that." There's a reason why there's very little reaction to him fighting Revenge of the Sith. It's because it was done so well the first time around that nobody questions it when he's doing flips and stabbing people through the chest the second time around. Um, 
Uh, oh, there was uh, one moment I wanted to um, uh, mention uh, earlier on. Uh, I don't know why this came up, but um, at some point, oh, I don't even know. What, okay, I've got two notes here. The line where Padme said something about to Anakin about Obi Wan thinks you're under a lot of stress. Somewhere in between that and the scene on Utapau, Casper was watching it. Went ta da! And I wish I could. <laughs> what part it was um i just see tada in my notes and i'm trying to remember what it was i have no idea um we'll just insert that into whatever scene tada tada <laughs> pick your scene for the tada moment um and bail organa also has that line where they're saying like oh it could be a trap about you know they're calling for an emergency session of the senate and uh i think obi-wan says like no there there's no way that you know the chancellor would be able to uh, you know, keep the the galaxy intact without the Senate, and yet that actually explains why twenty years later there's still a Senate. And it took them twenty years to actually disband the Senate because there would be complete chaos otherwise. Um, when the you mentioned the shot where Anakin arrives on Mustafar, um, obviously you, you haven't noticed this. It's it's one of the few goofs in a movie where we previously mentioned Attack of the Clones. George Lucas would go to the extents where he could take one shot of one actor from one scene and insert the uh, actor in a different take and combine two takes together in one scene, sometimes they miss something. Like Anakin pulling up his hood, telling R2 to stay with the ship, and both of his hands being living flesh, and he has no robot hand. That is like the one goof in this movie where I'm sure even George Lucas is like, how did we miss that? (laughs) and now I never unsee it. And Jamie was watching this. I'm like, look, do you notice the plot? And I'm expecting her to notice. I'm like, do you see the, the mistake here? Do you see the mistake? And she's like, no, what am I looking at? Like, he didn't have the robot hand. It's like, I couldn't even see his hands. Like, how do you notice that? Um, rewatch it. You'll notice. Very distracting. Uh, and I love, too, like you mentioned the intercutting between the Mustafar stuff and the Coruscant. When you have the battle with Obi-Wan and Yoda in the temple, you have Palpatine in the Senate. You know, again, some of these great lines he had, like, uh, you know, it'll be reorganized into the first galactic empire. Uh, And then you have intercut with that Anakin slaughtering everybody on Mustafar. Uh, We got the little mouse droid, too, if you notice that, when Mm -hmm. Anakin's walking into the room, the the mouse droid. Uh, And and then just Newt Gunray, you have this character who in the first one was kind of like the main villain, at least the villain with the most screen time. In the second one, you see he's just sort of vindictive, like he just wants Padme dead. I love that he dies on almost a sad note. Where he's like, it was Sidious who made us do it. You know? <laughs> and then Anakin, he actually gets the most vicious death in the movie. He gets his whole chest cut open, which is quite graphic. And I just love that this character goes out this this weak little, you know, um, groveling creature. Uh, but he actually kind of feels sorry for him. Um. Uh, did we mention anything else? Oh, yeah. So the recording. This is the most important uh, part of the movie here. The security footage. I feel like this was more forgivable for 15, 16 years ago. Or no, I guess we're not even there. 14 years ago. My math is great, too. Um, because now we live in this day and age where everything is recorded everywhere. But yet when this came out, I never questioned the video cameras and, oh, somebody is going to see this. Because, like, in 2005, what we identified as video cameras would have been, like, CCTV or something like that. It's like, well, they just wipe it or whatever. And the whole time I'm watching this, the rest of the movie I'm thinking, you know, when when Yoda and Palpatine are fighting in the Senate chamber, 
aren't there cameras recording that too? <laughs> and I, I keep thinking about like Palpatine's office. I mean, you know, JFK and all these other presidents, Nixon, they had recorded devices. I keep thinking about recordings everywhere now. And I never thought about that until now. It's just now we're living this day and age where you're like, well, why doesn't Obi-Wan pull out his cell phone and just record the conversation with Anakin? And then he can prove to everybody that a Jedi is the one who caused all this. It almost ruined it for me when I had this security footage. What ruins it more, like you said, there's the hammy acting from, no, it can't be. It's not possible. <laughs> it's the fact that there's a huge plot hole that they, sure, maybe they suspect Palpatine is behind this uprising. Um, they certainly don't know. There is no moment where they are told Palpatine is Sidious. In the security footage, they only see a guy in a hood, which they would identify as being Sidious at that point, not Palpatine. And then suddenly, they're referring to him as the Emperor. Something He has not even talked about the Empire outside of that Senate scene, which is happening at the same time as this. There's one loose line where he says, Now, Lord Vader, go bring peace to the empire <laughs> but suddenly they're calling the emperor they shouldn't even know this is palpatine at this point and there's over and over again saying just strong enough to destroy the emperor you are not this emperor has twisted and they even affirm it as darth vader like okay maybe they understand the rules of you know the sith are darth this darth this but none of the sith lords outside of darth sidious have been identified as darth unless darth is something they used you know a thousand years ago which i've never read much of like the knights of the old republic those old things you know if they all had the name darth but he's like uh you know uh already referring to him as darth vader it's like yoda and obi-wan are caught up to the audience without ever explaining how they got caught up to the audience because those scenes are happening at the same time it's just something that's always bothered me that they're they're calling him the emperor and they seem to know everything's going on but the way that they play the scene is bad as Ewan McGregor is at the opening of the scene when he's saying, you know, send me to kill the Emperor. Anakin's like my brother. I can't kill him. He's so good. And the the emotion you get out of, you know, Yoda, CG Yoda, <laughs> with Frank Oz's voice. Somehow, Frank Oz still gives the best performance in this movie, even though it's just his voice. Like, Yoda's acting is the best acting in this movie. And I don't know how they pull it off with a CG character, and I don't know why we get so much, you know, praise around this time, obviously, for, like, Andy Serkis in the Lord of the Rings movies, which I get. He's brilliant in that. But that's an actor who was allowed to give a performance that was translated as a CG character. This is just a bunch of amateurs. You probably had 16 guys working on Yoda's performance, and yet somehow it comes out as the most complete performance in the movie dramatically. It's just incredible. Um, last thing I'd add on that, the line that Yoda gives where he says, destroy the Sith we must... Is that not one of these lines where you still to this day just want to cheer when he says that? No, because I'm Team Sith. Oh, well, it's I remember that <laughs> along the line, and I mean everybody loves both. Like that's the thing with Star Wars is that you love the Jedi and you love the Sith because the same reaction you know that that you know I think everybody had to that not from a Jedi line that Palpatine had. Uh, the same thing for like Yoda. You saw over all the commercials the not from a Jedi and then destroy the Sith we must. The whole marketing campaign was built around that destroy the Sith we must. Uh, actually, just going back to Palpatine earlier, I can't believe I almost forgot this. When we had the opera scene earlier on, um, Palpatine says, you know, uh, something about uh, uh, the dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Years ago, Jamie was like, 
getting really invested in delivering this line and she suddenly says to me i think it was because like her voice was shot or something like that and i said she sounded like palpatine and she goes the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some considered to be unnoble (laughs) 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 now we're like i don't know six seven eight years later and when we're watching this jamie was still going unnoble (laughs) we're watching this um i guess lastly that that uh you know padme scene with obi-wan the fact that obi-wan says anakin's the father i like that he finally started to get it (laughs) um i actually wondered early in the movie when she was talking about not being allowed to serve in the senate and then she followed that up with and if they discover you're the father i thought to myself is she keeping this whole pregnancy secret because like she she can't be saying like sorry i've just put on some weight um (laughs) But, like, nobody else has asked this question. That's the other thing that's ruined for me now that, like, media is even completely different, you know, almost 15 years later. That as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, like, the media would be all of it. Who is the father of Senator Amadala's baby? <laughs> Mary Steinberger reports. There are many plenty is of rumors. Is it her closest representative, Binks? Is it the <laughs> Chancellor, who she was once in a loyalist committee for? <laughs> Is it R2-D2? <laughs> Is it Captain Typho with his dashing eye patch? No well, woman can man resist that. should be a father. Come on. <laughs> Is it Bail Organa, <laughs> handsome senator from uh, Alderaan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would have been like the big story. Who's the father of the baby? Uh, that I, now you can imagine that Obi-Wan's like, Anakin's the father, isn't he? And she just sort of looks and he goes, I knew it. I win the prize! <laughs> I'm full for Anakin, everybody! Hashtag Pay Anakin's up. the father. <laughs> Hashtag Anakin's the father. Uh, but still, it's a pretty good scene with Padme there, other than her really bad acting. It's like, no, Anakin couldn't have done that. He never would have killed younglings. <laughs> She's just as bad as Ewan McGregor was in the previous scene. Uh, isn't it amazing that Hayden Christensen takes all the heat and we're pinpointing how every actor in this movie has those really bad moments? Why does Hayden Christensen get dumped on so much? Except for R2-D2. R2-D2 needs some more credit too. Just the acting ability in this movie is great. Kenny Baker. Fantastic. Uh, Uh, Funny enough, (laughs) I'm very excited to talk about Kenny Baker when we get to A New Hope because there's there's this podcast that does kind of like a dramatization of – it's almost like a making of documentary but it's dramatized like with scripted like, you know, George Lucas is talking to this actor and they did one of Star Wars – which basically paints Kenny Baker in, like, the worst light ever as, like, the biggest scumbag to ever be involved in Star Wars. It's going to be fun to talk about that. Well, it's true, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he was the father. <laughs> he, he was. Uh, so, yeah, Anakin lands on the... Darth Vader lands on the planet. We get, just everyone needs to go to YouTube and look up, I think it was, like, the 2005 MTV Movie Awards yeah. or something like that, When the, back when they used to do openings, sort of, parodies of movies and there's a sort of jimmy fallon's inserted himself into this scene with padme um you know you got sauce barbecue sauce on my robe <laughs> you have done that yourself anakin uh, <laughs> that may be the funniest that one moment may be the funniest thing jimmy fallon's ever been involved in the barbecue sauce bit <laughs> you have done that yourself <laughs> i don't like it when he's holding up his robot hand and he's all like Spring, 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 spring. I used to do that all the time, like at school. I used to just go to people like, spring, 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 spring. And it's like, I'm your father. Uh, and it's like, oh, thank you. Uh, it's so funny. Um, 
But this is a big confrontation scene between uh, Anakin and Padme and, you know, uh, Natalie Portman's delivery of, Obi-Wan said you did terrible things. He said you killed said younglings. Killed younglings. <laughs> You're breaking my heart. Um, I, It's like, okay, I don't think it's that bad, but it's not that good. It's kind of just, it's there. The crying's more convincing, at least. I think when you watch it with Jimmy Fallon, like, kind of separated a little bit from the scene. It's kind of <laughs> isolated a little bit more. But, you know, I do like the way sort of Anakin's here. We sort of get that, you know, we can rule the galaxy together. Sort of, it's almost very, you know, father and son. We can rule the galaxy as father yeah. and son. Like, he's got a bit of a, um, a fetish for this, doesn't he, old Anakin? <laughs> <laughs> he just wants a partner in crime. He's lonely. Does he, del- <laughs> does he deliver this to, like, everybody he yes. meets? <laughs> Like, when he meets Tarkin the first time, he's like, Tarkin, we can rule the galaxy as uh, heterosexual friend and heterosexual friend. <laughs> Who's the um the guy who comes and sees him on Mustafar in Rogue One? The Admiral, the whoever that guy Oh, is. yeah, Krennic? Yeah, Krennic. Like, you and I can rule the galaxy. It's like, Darth, stop saying this, all right? I just want to find someone to rule the galaxy with me. Why won't anybody play with me? <laughs> lonely i'm so lonely um and then we discover that obi-wan was on the ship um and i do i like i really love the way sort of hayden christensen delivers some of these lines when he's all like liar and he's like you're with him like just the way he gets so angry like it's really really good ends up poor old choke holding padme (laughs) Um, again, you see this in the eyes of 2019, don't we? Like, oh, domestic violence, man hurting a woman, choking a woman. Um, let her go, Anakin. Uh, <laughs> let her go. I love how we, that's totally something that we have to do with Casper, too. That's a parent thing. I'm sure George Lucas had done it many times in his life, where you tell them to do something and they don't listen, so you slow it down. It's like, Casper, put down the knife. Put down the knife. <laughs> I love how your go-to is put down the knife. Jesus, your kid's scary. Oh, it's happened. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened to every parent. <laughs> Don't stab your brother. All right, put down the knife. I'm stabbing. I'm stabbing. I'm uh, stabbing. <laughs> so there's obviously you know, great stuff going on here, and then it's going to lead into the big epic battle. Uh, what does he say something about? Like He says something that is like, only cis deal in absolute. Absolutes, yeah. And again, that just reminds me of Jimmy Fallon. A Sith, a Sith, a Sith, a Sith. He says it like 10 <laughs> times in the list. A Sith, a Sith. Um, and um, what's, is it Battle of the Heroes? Is that the name of the track? Yeah. Oh, oh so good. Oh, I so good. prefer it over Duel of the Fates. Like there's an, most people will say Duel of the Fates. But I know a lot of people say it's pretty close. Like, I think I might pick this over Duel of the Fates. It would be in my top five songs. Songs. (laughs) Hit the Billboard (laughs) chart at number 12. Um, This and Like a Virgin. (laughs) (laughs) Often compared. Like a virgin. Touch for the very first time. Um, Meanwhile, intercut with this, we have Yoda confronting... Uh, the Emperor, since oh, he knows his love name. It. Uh, the music sort of... I just I just love this blend of music that we have, kind of like the Emperor's theme, um, you know, the Imperial March, just everything is just, like, put into a blender. Don't we even get a bit of Jewel of the Fates at one point, too? Sort of yeah, point during the, the battle, yeah. Yeah, like, just everything is mixed together. And kind of, 
look, I, I feel like we're going to undersell this in terms of the way we explain it. But, like, this, I think you said it, did you not, at one point, that this is maybe the greatest battle in movie history um, mm-hmm. between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It's just so incredible. Goes on forever, but it's great. And sort of they're destroying things. They're on these giant platforms that are melting into the lava. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Yoda and the Emperor fighting in the Senate, throwing all the weird circle disc things. Like, this... What well, goes on for maybe five to ten minutes, but like it just goes by so quickly because you're enjoying every single second of this. Um, and like again, please pick out your favorite bits when you talk about it. Like, again, I'm not trying to gel over everything, this is just something that I feel you can't explain, you've just got to watch. Um, and it's like the great sort of them swinging on the vines, chopping in each other with lightsabers. Uh, I love it sort of when they're on that platform and, like, the lava's, like, melting the, the thing that leads them to sort of falling down into it. They're on these weird floaty things in the the platform. Uh, Yoda, meanwhile, falls and runs away. Why does Yoda run away? <laughs> <laughs> All Jedi run away. Bloody wimp, That's, a, that's the, the one defense I'm going to give. Well, not the only defense, but the, the biggest defense when people complained about uh, Luke's portrayal in The Last Jedi. Because... More than anything, I actually don't mind what they do with Luke in the last. Not I don't. Some of it I mind, but I don't mind the way Luke was portrayed in the Last Jedi because I actually read something recently. It was like a meme where um, uh, it, they're basically saying like you know Luke runs away, uh, you know because the the Sith destroyed something of his. And it's like, that's not what Jedi do. And then they show Yoda and Obi Wan in hiding. It's like that's exactly what Jedi do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Because, like, you know, straight away, Yoda's like, into exile I must go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, like, again, perfect timing of him dropping down into uh, Organa's little ship. That's quite, is that a bit of a nod to the Empire Strikes Back, like, falling down into oh, the yeah. Falcon at the end? Like, yeah, great little mm-hmm. moment there. Um, I really love the shot that's used a lot in um, the... There was a poster of it, I think, in some other promo shots when Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting and they're kind of, you know, lightsabers, you know, connected and you've got that big shot of the lava in the background. Um, yeah. It looks, oh, looks so fantastic. Um, and through all of this, we kind of lead up to the one moment where Obi-Wan jumps up onto the, the land, um, Anakin's staring at him, and we get the, it's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! Which, <laughs> I mean, how many people have pinned holes in this after the Phantom Menace? There is also quite a large portion of land to the right and left that I'm sure Anakin could have jumped on. <laughs> Just saying, I think that's more of the he plot hole here than the whole high I mean, he ground could have also situation. Thrown the lightsaber like you know, a boomerang, and it just came back around and chopped his head off. There was uh, that game, the the Force Unleashed. You could do that. You could throw the boomerang like the lightsaber mm-hmm. like a boomerang, and, and also like use the Force, Anakin. Just get some lava yeah. and throw it at Obi Wan. <laughs> like, there's a yeah. Thing what like- if? <laughs> what if at that moment, where he's like, "It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground." You hear like Dooku's voice. Use the force, Anakin. <laughs> but like, like a boomerang. L- lava's not like a laser shot where you can deflect it. Like, if he just gets a massive, like, pile of lava yeah. and throws it on yeah. everyone, he's dead. <laughs> like mud in the eyes. Lava in the eyes. <laughs> Another thing in all of Star Wars shouldn't have happened. Like, the first one is that uh, Jay Lagaya, if Natalie Portman had listened to him, mother for Luke and Leia. And then right here, all Anakin had to do was a... Oh shit! Oh one's dead, and boom, there you go. Um, just that's all you had to do, uh, Anakin. But we get the it's over, Anakin. I've got the high ground, and it, I've missed sort of the line. The I really like that line earlier when he's kind of like, in my mind, the Jedi are evil. 
Uh, and what does Obi-Wan say? Like, then you are deluded! Well, then you are lost! Yeah. Um, but we get the epic moment of uh, Anakin... Anakin! Flipping up. <laughs> it's not just one limb. It's not just two limbs. All four limbs are gone in one shot. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> well, no, he's got his... He still has his robotic arm left. So three out of four. Yeah, three out of four. Very accurate uh, arm chopper upper is uh, Obi-Wan. <laughs> uh, and then, like, oh, this bit here, like... You get a little bit teary, I think, the way the music goes on and the way Obi-Wan's kind of like, no, you are the chosen one. You are meant to bring balance to the Force, not destroy it. You are my brother, Anakin. Oh, I love you. So heartbreaking. Uh, it really I, is. It really is. Like, the music is just everything. And even just, like, I love Anakin, the way he's kind of like, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, it's, oh, like, I mean, we joke about, I hate you, like, in the early one, but just, I just love his delivery here, like, I mean, you're laughing your ass off because he's burning to death, but <laughs> just the way he's all like, I hate you, um, and then the the subtle little thing, which it took me so long to actually realise, uh, that Obi-Wan picks up his lightsaber, because, I mean, sh- do you think that's a... Shit, we didn't do that. We need to go film that again, or is that oh, a it George is. Lucas? It is. Is it? Oh. Yeah. No, I, I think I mentioned that. Like the the same way that they, uh, you know, they forgot. You know, oh, we need that moment where Anakin gets introduced to Palpatine in the first movie. That's exactly what happened here. They had filmed the movie. They were in editing. They're like, wait, somebody's like, doesn't he actually give the lightsaber to Luke later? Oh, call you, McGregor. <laughs> Got to do a pickup shot. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> Because I'm sure that would have been uh, worse than a um, hand, shot, hand shot first, wouldn't it? Like, how did yeah. he get the lightsaber kind of thing? Also, I really like the look of um, Anakin here when he's, like, you know, dragging himself up the dirt and he's kind of got those yellow eyes still and he's kind of, you know, doing that. So, yeah, just such an amazing scene. Obi-Wan buggers off while poor old um, Darth is completely burning. And, like, I do also, like... I think there's a really good visual style the way you see him burning where kind of through the fire, like it's really got that look of when Luke takes off the helmet in yeah. uh, Return of the Jedi. Like you kind of see that dome sort of shape of his deformed head. Um, well, and that's something they had to change too because like if you remember even the special edition cut like from 97 of Return of the Jedi, he still had eyebrows. Like he had yeah. no hair, but he had eyebrows. And when they re-release it on Blu-ray, um, or, or maybe it was in one of the DVD releases around the time of this, they digitally removed the eyebrows from Return of the Jedi just so it would make sense. Because how dumb would that be if it's like, oh, he's burned alive, but the eyebrows grew back? <laughs> Which people complain about too, um, always. Mm. Uh, Obi-Wan goes back to the ship. Uh, C-3PO does his um, barefoot and pregnant role of, oh, oh Master Obi-Wan, Padme's dying. Um, poor old Padme's just complaining and <laughs> she's <laughs> i love she's Padme. Like, Pad- there she is she's complaining oh anakin left me i'm giving birth to twins and i'm dying oh padme you're so hard done by it's always about you padme isn't it like <laughs> obi-wan just had a hard time and it's all about you uh, yeah. So Obi, they fly up. I do like that shot, kind of of Obi Wan sitting in the um the pilot seat with C three PO putting his like hand on his head. Yeah. Um, we have a shot of like the Emperor. Oh no, we had that before, didn't he? About like you know, oh Anakin's in trouble. So flies and um the Emperor picks up uh dear old Darth Vader who's dying. 
We go... Is this a moon or something like this where they go and take Padme to give birth? Like, where are Luke and uh, Leia born? I think it's... Yeah, I think it's supposed to be... Well, it's it's called Polis Massa. It, I think it's supposed to be, like, some type of spaceport on an asteroid or something like that. Okay. So, I'm sure that's a trivia question, isn't it, in some of these Star Wars yeah. trivial pursuits? Like, where's Luke and Leia born? Um, mm-hmm. It's also in the cut. We're back on Coruscant. It's raining on Coruscant. Uh, and we get... We see uh, Darth Anakin getting... Uh, transported in his little thing. So, uh, and like, it's a great balance at the end, isn't it? Like a real life and death kind of, you know, mm. well, birth moment, really. We've got the birth of Luke and Leia, the birth of Darth Vader. It's happening at the same time. Um, it's very similar. Here's a weird connection to other episodes of Doing the Oz Network. The esteemed episode of Lost where Boone dies is obviously at the same time as Aaron is born. Um, so, you know, good balance here. But I, I remember my friend... just intent to rip it off George <laughs> Lucas from the beginning. I, I remember the one thing that my friend and I used to always bag out this movie for uh, was the birth of Luke and Leia and the delivery of the lines here from Natalie Portman. So she's there, she's given birth. We've got Ro- Dr. Robot here basically saying, like, we can't explain it. She's just lost the will to live. Um, and then basically she's like, uh, uh, Luke. Uh, uh, yeah. Leia, they're still yeah. good in him. <laughs> <laughs> That's like we used to always do that at school. Just randomly, uh, uh, Luke, uh, uh, Leia, uh, they're still good in him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but we have it. We have the, the one thing we've been, well, the two things we've been waiting for, this whole trilogy, the birth of Darth Vader and the birth of Luke and Leia. Now, are these twins, or it's probably only one baby, I don't know, are they like famous now? That'd be like 14, wouldn't they? Is there always like a... Where are they now? The babies that played Luke and Leia in Star Wars. Yeah, no, interesting question. I don't know. Uh, they, they do that with friends. Like, they always do, like, this is what the baby Emma, ba- the baby Emma from Friends looks like today. Um, well, imagine, I'm, I'm sure, at, you know, London Comic Con next year, we're going to get one of those kids <laughs> showing up to give Hayden Christen, Dad, <laughs> where's my child support? <laughs> exactly. Halfway to becoming a Jedi. Um,. <laughs> So, uh, but I, I, okay, all jokes aside, I actually don't mind the whole there is still good in him because that's obviously, you know, big connection. It's important. To, it's very important. And, you know, Luke and that's going to utter that a lot in the original trilogy. And also, it's it's very important this scene here because Leia clearly gets a good enough look at Padme to think that she's really yeah. beautiful. So, <laughs> yes. she's got a great memory, <laughs> Leia. Great memory. She looks down and goes, oh, she's really beautiful. Goo goo gaga. Uh, <laughs> So, very important, but oh no, Padme's dead. But then at the same... I sound that so sadly. It is sad. Padme's <laughs> dead. Uh, but then we get the epic birth of Darth Vader, the the way the helmet gets lowered down, that shot with sort of the lens flare that J.J. Abrams, you know, steals. The look on burnt-up Hayden Christensen's face when he's just, like, <laughs> staring at this going up. You see the closing of the helmet. There's, like, silence and that... And then for the first time. Oh, that's my noise I make. So incredible. Then they rise up the whole, um, the, the table with Darth Vader on it. It's great. And then we get one of the most infamous scenes in all of Star Wars that people complain about, which I I am fine with. This is kind of like the midi-chlorians. I don't get why people complain about it so much. Um, straight away... Where's Padme? Is she all right? Um, and then Prick Emperor. God, he's evil. <laughs> In your rage, you killed her. No! 
we get the infamous no. But like, Which, okay, in defense of the movie, you can criticize and say, oh, the no is cheesy. Give a better line then. There is no other way. You have to have Anakin be under the impression Padme's dead. Even if, you know, she was alive, he's, this is how the Emperor holds on to Vader. Um, there is, I can't think of any other way to deliver this. Maybe you could have him deliver the line no in a different way, but you need to see him react to this. I, I've never heard somebody suggest a better way they could have done it. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of any better way to do it. Like, I, just, I don't see, like, I mean, what's he just meant to be like, well, I'm evil now, so that's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, like, stupid bitch, she had it coming. <laughs> like, I mean, he's not going to say Well, <laughs> in all fairness, age wasn't exactly agreeing with her. <laughs> <laughs> and now that my penis has been burnt off. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I just, I think it's, uh, you're right. Like, there's no other way you could do this. I mean, basically, a large portion of why he's become Darth Vader is basically because he, you know, wanted to save Padme and then he's killed her. And I just want to see, like, the that TV series, like, the direct aftermath of him being Darth Vader, like, waking up in the middle of the night crying, no, <laughs> Padme's dead. And the Emperor's like, snap out of it, Vader. <laughs> and it's like, but no, she's <laughs> dead. Like, I mean, there's got to no! be some... <laughs> Got to be some remorse there. Um, then we have the uh, important conversation uh, back on our ship of rebels, whatever it is, about what's going to happen to the babies. We need to separate them. Uh, and then straight away, I'm going to, oh, I want a kid. I'll have it. My wife and I yeah. have always wanted to have a baby. <laughs> like, I mean, you knew it was going to happen. Clearly, we knew that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, I better call my wife first and find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so the downside is she's the offspring of the Antichrist. (laughs) Like, I feel like there's a conversation that needs to be had. (laughs) Um, and then Obi-Wan, like, I, a lot of people also sort of complain about this because it, it comes down to the fact that they've got to hide them and separate them so Vader doesn't find them. But of course, Obi-Wan's basically like, I'm going to take him to Tatooine and I will watch over him and I'll give him back to his aunt and uncle. Which, mm-hmm. again, it's like, well, you're not really hiding them that well. But at the same time, Darth Vader thinks they're dead. So it's not mm-hmm. like he's searching for them. It's not like straight away he's like, oh, but are the babies okay? And the Emperor's like, yes. <laughs> like, it's kind of, you know, there's there's a bit of that, that either side of it. But And then is this where we get this whole Qui-Gon moment? Yeah. Which I remember seeing this in the movie thinking like, holy shit, we're about to see Qui-Gon! Because uh, Yoda is basically like you know training I have for you while you're on Tatooine, an old apprentice, mm-hmm. uh, your older, your master, uh, will be there. And he's like Qui Gon. Now, yeah. I think you mentioned Qui Gon. <laughs> no, the other one, you prick. Um, <laughs> I think you mentioned about how there was meant to be a deleted scene here or that, but is my understanding that this is basically to explain to him how he can become powerful as a force ghost? Like, is that what it's meant to be? Yeah, which when we did the Phantom Menace episode, I mentioned that there were so many people who were so angry that Qui-Gon didn't disappear. Like, George Lucas doesn't even know his own series, but that was always part of the story. So in A New Hope, when he's telling Vader, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Even in that movie, before there was any other Star Wars movie, Vader clearly had no idea what happened to Obi-Wan because he goes up and he starts stepping on the road. He's like, what? What? (laughs) 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 
I don't know so, why that's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, like this is from the Santa Claus when Neil discovers that Santa Claus is gone. It's like, yeah, where'd exactly. he go? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was the intention was that you were going to build through these movies. That's why we heard Qui-Gon's voice in Attack of the Clones. And that this would be, you know, how you could return. They do get into it in the the final season of the the original Clone Wars. Or what I say original, uh, like they're bringing it back now. So who knows when people are listening to this? But season six of the Clone Wars, uh, they actually have the Qui Gon Force Ghost appear for the first time. Uh, actually, to Anakin of all people. Uh, but Anakin, I think, is like in some type of you know hallucinogenic state, and he doesn't exactly Stunned. comprehend what's going on. <laughs> he, 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 he takes a bad acid <laughs> on Malastare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I got so excited when you hear that, and sadly we didn't quite get the cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get the funeral of uh, Padme on Naboo. She's holding a Japor snippet. We see her. Um, it sounded a bit wrong, didn't it? Um, she's holding the artifact that was given to her. By Anakin, um, we see her parents because we remember them from the deleted scenes. Sad Jar Jar, sad Boss Nass, um, sad Keisha Castle Hughes as young um, Queen of Naboo, not the stupid one that we had in the last movie. Um, then, yeah, maybe one of my favorite. Say that oh, again? You... No, you could just finish up because we're at the last scenes, really. Thank you for giving me permission. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie says that to you a lot. You can just finish up. Um, <laughs> So one of my favorite scenes in all of the the Star Wars movies I mentioned, kind of just this shot of them on the bridge of the Star Destroyer, just like all the people in the Empire uniforms and just, oh, God, that just gives you chills. This is, again, people have to realize this is pre-Rogue One, pre-Solo. This is the closest we got to, like, the absolute starting places for A New Hope. Um, so incredible shot here. We see the exterior of the Death Star being built. We get Moth Tarkin basically looking really weird. <laughs> like... <laughs> Isn't that guy actually like a famous actor or they just put like a weird mask on him or something like that? Because he looks so off. I don't remember. <laughs> but, I remember uh, thinking he'd be a bigger part of the movie because I knew he would be in it. Mm, but yeah, look, really looks nothing like him. Uh, we get our first and only shot of Alderaan um, ever. Mm-hmm. You're going to get blown up soon. Um, <laughs> Alderaan looks like a nice planet. What a shame all those people died. Uh, and there's Senator Organa with a wife that he never talked to. <laughs> He's a baby. <laughs> um, like, how did you get it? I gave birth to it. Uh, men on Alderaan can give birth. And then we get uh, the Bruin Owen scene holding the baby, uh, overlooking the two sons. We get that real, like, Luke's theme, kind of the silent little moment, just that look on um, Obi-Wan when he kind of, like, wipes his lip and then he goes back onto the thing. It's That music's epic. And then kind of the stirring theme as we go into the credits of them staring into the sun. Uh, and then, boom, written, directed by George Lucas. Uh, just, oh. da, 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 da. All incredible. You left this movie with a massive goddamn smile. Now, let's be honest, not just oh, a smile yeah. on the face. You had an erection. You were like, fuck, that was great. <laughs> Women had erections. It was that good. They did. It, it, they somehow changed genders just by watching this movie. They, like, they did. They <laughs> really the did. That's the power of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> um... All right, so the the first scene with uh, Anakin and Padme after Obi-Wan sneaks on the ship, which I love just Obi-Wan sneaking on the ship again. Obi-Wan the spy, Obi-Wan the detective, <laughs> Obi-Wan in the shadows. <laughs> um, <As a> child. <laughs> but it's, it's actually a really good scene. You know, 
some bad dialogue, some even worse acting, but it is a really good scene just for the emotion of it. And I, um, I think I mentioned, I don't even remember who was this episode, last episode, they all blur together, uh, about how these could really play as silent films just with the score. And this is a perfect example. Like, you know what's going on here and just the emotion of, you know, her coming and, basically saying Anakin tell me it's not true and her realizing no this is actually true it's it's quite powerful and I think that this is probably the most uh emotionally invested that I'd ever been in Star Wars and this is I think the difference because even though I would say as a trilogy as a whole you know the original trilogy obviously is a better story start to finish um the new movies you know there's some good stuff in there but there is no emotional investment i don't even necessarily know if there was that much of emotional investment in the original trilogy with this there is and yet they really if you think about it did it all in just this one movie that's not like most people would intend to knock against phantom menace and attack of the clones it's just those movies were meant to tell everything that happened up until now and they reserved Almost everything with Anakin's turn to the dark side for this movie. Almost everything with the the drama of Anakin and Padme's relationship for this movie. Everything with the Emperor for this movie. And somehow George Lucas pulled it off within one movie. So here we are, not even at the two-hour mark. And you're so emotionally invested in you know what's going on with Anakin's turn and and what is doing to Padme here that you can forgive the dialogue and like and some of the acting and you know like you said just the visuals of the scene is powerful you know when uh, Obi Wan comes out and the uh, you have done that yourself and let <laughs> her go I just remember that the scene where Obi Wan's standing at the top of the ramp with his hands on his hips like it's such a cheesy pose but it was one of those moments where you felt like you wanted to cheer like yes we're about to get it and just obi-wan to the rescue it makes obi-wan such a more heroic character just coming in in this way um and the way that they are circling around each other like yeah there is some bad lines there uh when they're talking like anakin chancellor palpatine is evil <laughs> from my point of view, the jedi. <laughs> but like even when he says from my point of view the jedi are evil that's something that ties into uh, Return of the Jedi when, you know, um, Luke is confronting Obi-Wan saying, you told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. And he goes, your father was seduced by the dark side. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. That moment where Obi-Wan says only a Sith, Sith deal in absolutes, that was his moment of realizing he ceased to be Anakin Skywalker. He became Darth Vader. And then he says, what I told you is true from a certain point of view. Anakin tells him that here from my point of view, the Jedi are evil or whatever. Or that, that that line comes up later on, but but still, all these scenes are about Anakin. It's his point of view that's been twisted, and yet you can't one hundred percent fault Anakin because we have seen the Jedi do some bad things in this movie. So there's it's, there's a much more complex storytelling going on here than just oh the Emperor duped Anakin or oh Anakin just wanted this power, and we've seen such a slow progression with this turn where it starts with what have I done? And then I'll do anything you ask. Just please save Padme. And now it's to the point where he's starting to buy into it. But one or two days have passed of his mind being twisted by this. Um, the way that they're circling around each other, you get the tension, of the scene, you don't, it doesn't matter if the, the dialogue is bad or the performances are bad, just the visual of the flames going off in the background and, and the way that they're looking at each other, like the nonverbal acting, which all comes down to chemistry, that Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen have. It's their chemistry that works and the way that they're looking at each other is what makes this such a powerful scene. Because I remember every single time I saw this movie, 
I would watch this. This would be one of those scenes that would give me goosebumps. And yet, if you were to just dry read the dialogue, you'd be like, well, that's crap, you know? But it's, it's th- there's so much strength in their performance without even being able to talk here. Um, you know, th- the other interesting thing when he chokes Padme is that you realize this is almost like a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy. Like, his premonitions about um, Padme dying was actually if they were to have gotten into more of the subplot of the premonitions with the Sifo-Dyas things and stuff like that, you'd realize that the bigger part of this is that Anakin's premonition was actually about him turning to the dark side. It had nothing to do with Padme. Because if he hadn't turned to the dark side, Padme wouldn't have died. So then you start to think, okay, so the first time his premonitions were just about his mother dying, but was that also Anakin having premonitions of what would lead him to the dark side? Because that's what the only thing that connects these two premonitions is it's the two times that he turned to the dark side. When he killed the Tusken Raiders, it was because his mother died. He Was he sensing his turn to the dark side or was he sensing somebody dying? That's why I actually really get behind the whole premonitions. And you know, as it's kind of joked, Anakin turns to the dark side because he has a bad dream. It's like, there's a lot more than just that. Um, the The way that when Obi-Wan says only a Sith deals in absolutes, you know, um, I'll, I'll, what is this? What's that? Like, I'll do what I must. You will try when Obi-Wan raises his lightsaber and says, I'll do what I must. You see the only glimpse of the sun rising behind him, which is again, like who even cares about reading into it? It's just such a brilliant shot. And the choreography for these scenes, it's like, you can't even, I can't even form words. It is the most incredible stunt choreography i have ever seen and it runs for so long like this you know we're looking at maybe two minutes here two minutes there but if you add this all up together it is a long fight scene and i think hayden christensen and ewan mcgregor had to train for six months just for this and really think about the action they have in this movie obi-wan's got a a little fist fight with you know general grievous which is you know kind of cool um anakin has the quick thing with count dooku at the beginning other than that they just do a lot of talking in this movie so all of their stunt training was really just for this one fight scene it was six months that's crazy uh and they're doing this at regular speed it's not like they speed this up there's i think only a couple of cgi shots in here maybe some of their like you know uh 100 foot jumps through the air cg uh the only other one where i said i think they said during the lightsaber combat that it was full computer generated was when they're in the middle of that control room and their lightsabers are held together for a minute right before they both start trying to force push each other and they're actually just fighting against each other's force push Mm -hmm. which again a great moment when they are holding their lightsabers together was just because george was like i think we need an extra moment before we get to the force push and he said okay uh i want you guys to computer animate them just holding the lightsabers together that's the only moment in this movie where it's not ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen because I, Ewan McGregor may have had a couple of stunts, but I think Hayden Christensen literally performed every stunt in this movie. And the stunt choreographer, Nick Gillard, said that uh, Hayden Christensen was the greatest actor he had ever trained as a stunt performer, like in his entire career. This is the guy who goes back to like the original Indiana Jones movies. He's been around that long. Um, the, it's important to have that in these movies because you're seeing their faces. And as much criticism these movies get for all the overuse of CGI – we're getting real stunts performed by the real actors. And this lightsaber, I, I think ultimately p- the fans' opinion tends to lean more towards the Darth Maul, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan battle. 
but I, I will pick this one hands down. I mean, what would be your pick between those two? Uh, probably this, I would say. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, like, I think it's just the, the level of epicness. And it's just, it's just one of these things that, you know, you really do build up to it. You know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I'd probably say this one for sure. And I think just the action of this scene, too, because it, it's more than just, like, the emotion of them fighting each other, which Battle of the Heroes does such an incredible job of selling that. Um but the little bits you said, like them on that bridge and the, the shot of them wrestling each other's lightsabers, like the, the two lightsabers are on, they're wrestling each other in circles and the lava going off behind them. The making of that they did on the DVD, I don't know if you ever watched it for Revenge of the Sith. It's a one hour making of about one minute of the movie. And it's just that moment where they're fighting on that little bridge thing and then the lava starts exploding around them and they both take cover. They did a one hour documentary on that one minute and it if you want to look for any recommendation for documentaries to watch, that's one of the most interesting ones because they filled it by saying, we're going to show you everything that goes into one minute of movies. And it starts with the people doing the costumes and then they'll say, okay. And then we had to do the stunt. And then they're like, okay, and this is what these animators did. And this is what the sound people did. They even get down to, this is what catering did. It's not a joke of this is what catered did for this one scene, but let's show you what goes into making a movie for only one minute of a movie. Um, yeah, the stuff where they're swinging is great when they're like closed in. Cause we see so much of them flying all over the place. And even when the lightsaber battle starts, like it's so different from other ones we've seen because they're not standing toe to toe. They're like at a jogging pace, still fighting with each other. So when they get on that little floating platform and it's just them like face to face, that's some of my favorite stuff in the movie. And I think I've seen this enough times that, I, I almost subconsciously am miming the moves that they're doing <laughs> during the lightsaber scenes. Uh, I could probably do the same with every lightsaber scene, but like this one in particular, I think it's just, it's my favorite fight scene I've ever seen. Um, the high ground thing. I think this was another thing where they, they sort of set themselves up through just star Wars mythology and lore because in the novelization of return of the Jedi, it actually has one or two pages where Obi-Wan is talking about when he beat Anakin. And he says that he basically fought him and Anakin fell into a volcano. So everybody had this visual of the volcano from the beginning. Uh, I think George Lucas knew he needed to do something different. You know, he's going to put the volcanic planet because everybody was expecting that. It's a perfect setting. It's literally like their descent into hell. Uh, they used real volcanoes in this as well. There was um, a volcano somewhere in Italy, I think it was, that George Lucas got word that was blowing up. And he said, send a camera crew over there. I want you to film real explosions. So a lot of the volcanic explosions you're seeing is real photography of real volcanoes exploding. Hmm. Um, they still use the, the whole you know lava setting, but they had to do it differently. I don't know whether the high ground thing needed, the line of the high ground needed to be in there. Maybe it's Obi-Wan just sort of trying to dupe him. But it does come across like, well, I remember even at the time, like, loving everything about this movie and just being like, well, high ground? Like, why does that matter? Um, I think it's more interesting to just think that it's Anakin's arrogance, that Obi-Wan saw that if he could, you know, Anakin, you'll never get me. I have the high ground. And Anakin's like, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> and Obi-Wan just knows how to hit him or where to hit him. Maybe it makes more sense that way, but that's an interesting way to play it, but I don't think that was the intention. Um, but yeah, like it gets so dark all of a sudden. You go from this high of the lightsaber battle to when he gets his legs cut off, which we'll get to that as a separate scene in a second. 
there's such a huge shift there where, again, it's like when Anakin turns to the dark side. You're so excited. You're wanting to see this. And then the moment where it comes, you feel like garbage again uh, because it's handled so effectively. Now, the Yoda stuff, it's almost in complete contrast to the Anakin and Obi-Wan, which is so emotional. That's the moment where you want to cheer. It is the ultimate bad guy against the ultimate good guy. And just the way that Yoda enters that scene... And there's the guard there, and then Yoda just sort of like one wave of his hand, and they both get thrown against the wall and knocked out. I love that moment. And there's so many cheesy lines in here, like where, uh, you, you know, he's like, um, calling him like, my little green friend. But like, the way the music helps, that they're reusing music from The Empire Strikes Back here. And, uh, you know, I hear, new apprentice you have, uh, Lord Sidious, or, or should I call you, uh, you know, Emperor, or however that line plays. And then uh, when the Emperor tries to run from him, when he thinks he has Yoda, and suddenly Yoda's like, if so powerful you are, why leave? Uh, and then he's like, Darth Vader will become more powerful. That's almost like this moment where uh, he's like, oh, you're a bit of a coward, Emperor. Yeah, well, Darth Vader could kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's so much like great interplay between Yoda and Palpatine here that it's... It's so fun to watch, and that's why the intercutting really works here, because you never get, like, so dragged down by the emotion of the Anakin-Obi-Wan battle, because every time they cut back to Yoda, you're like, yeah, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the whole setting of the Senate chamber, that was actually a Steven Spielberg idea. Uh, George Lucas brought him on, saying, you know what, I'm kind of looking for something different to do here, and I just want some ideas. And Steven Spielberg actually sat down and worked out the whole previous realization. Okay, so... Then we're going to have the Senate chamber, and then the Emperor is going to be on this one, and he'll start throwing the pods down at Yoda, and then you know they'll have the Force lightning. The whole thing was actually worked out by Steven Spielberg originally, which is the only involvement Spielberg's ever had in Star Wars. Uh, back to Return of the Jedi, uh, George Lucas, I think, had offered it to him, and Spielberg basically said, no, no, this is your thing. I don't think I could do it justice the same way you did. Um, but I love the battle between Yoda and the Emperor. Uh, I, I love like Yoda's nails, like hanging, literally hanging on by his nails before he falls. Uh, the, the fact that his coat <laughs> is stuck there, and then they have that line where it's like, uh, uh, "Oh, we found his coat here. Well, you didn't find a body, so he's not dead." <laughs> um, when he drops it a Bail Organa's thing, like failed, I have like he just has this moment of defeat. Uh, you know, you get like Yoda's hesitance later on when you get to empire strikes back when he's saying like luke you're not strong enough to kill the emperor because he's actually been there um and also i mentioned like with attack of the clones where you know he sacrificed catching dooku because of you know trying to save anakin and obi-wan um but uh i guess getting back here to the anakin and obi-wan thing when He's like clawing on and slowly falling into the lava. Like you said, it can be viewed as a little bit cheesy with the I hate you, but I actually love just the raw emotion there. And Obi-Wan, you know, again, like you were the chosen one. It's the only moment where Obi-Wan loses it. Like Obi-Wan is so composed, even when he's saying like, I can't kill Anakin. When he sees that Anakin did this, he's like, no, it can't be. But he's still composed. And just to have Obi-Wan that one moment where he just loses it, you get this guy who went from, the company man, you know, uh, oh, you need to spy on the Chancellor. No, the council is asking you to do this. And finally, he breaks down. That's the only moment of emotion we ever get out of Obi-Wan Kenobi in six movies. And really, he is the closest thing to a lead character that these movies have. Um, with the scene where he burns, it still is kind of funny. <laughs> as sad as it is. Um, 
I, I just get that visualized. I think it would be even better if he stood up and started running around frantically. <laughs> There's <laughs> some people with the panic ah! of being on fire. Ah! I wish that if Casper started laughing at that, I'm like, that's my boy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to mention, like, when Emperor comes to get him, like, I sense Lord Vader is in danger. He gets there very quickly. Like, again, Mustafar is, Coruscant's the center of the Republic. Mustafar is in the outer rims because that's where all this is supposed to be taking place. And Vader is still there, like, clinging to life. This isn't, like, it's six months later. Like, this is hours later, and he's there. It just seems very abrupt. But the thing I wanted to mention is, do you ever play the video game Revenge of the Sith? I did not know. Oh, it's, it's Lego Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, but... <laughs> well, well, the actual Revenge of the Sith video game was great because you sort of alternate between playing in characters. And in the final lightsaber battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan in the video game, you get to choose, do you want to be Anakin or Obi-Wan? If you play this as Obi-Wan, the cutscenes that happen after that, after you beat, uh, beat Anakin, is the same as the movie. Uh if you play as Anakin, you can actually kill Obi-Wan at the end of this level, and then it cuts to the final scene of the video game, which is the Emperor arriving, and be like, Lord Vader, you have destroyed the Jedi and brought peace to the galaxy. And Anakin just looks at him and cuts off the Emperor's head and walks off nope. in his ship. <laughs> which is, I remember playing that and be like, this is amazing. <laughs> kind of want to say that. Yeah, even if you can find it on YouTube, is great, but it, playing the game going all the way through... Uh, I think the first time I actually played it as Obi-Wan, and I'm like, okay, I, I because I knew you could play both characters, like, I gotta see what happens. And I played it a second time just to win as Anakin. It's so good. These last little bits of scenes here, again, it's, it's just, it works as a silent film. Like, even it basically is a silent film. There's no lines of dialogue here. Uh, you know, Padme giving birth, you know, having seen actual birth, you know, this is uh, a little too clean. <laughs> actual birth. <laughs> Um, it is way too clean and for somebody who's dying and giving birth is not something I believe, but I actually don't think she does that bad. Although I do get what you're saying about the, ah, Luke, <laughs> ah, Leia. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you mentioned with the eyes open, that's the only theory I've ever heard on why Leia remembers her is because one of the babies had their eyes open. But I thought about this a couple of times. Where in Return of the Jedi does it say Leia knows that Bail Organa is not her father? Yeah, that's what I've kind of always assumed. You know, yeah, like she's if if Luke is coming to her, he does say your real mother. So I think I I don't know if this was something I invented in my head or if there was a novel or something, but I'm pretty sure I heard at some point that like the character that Bail Organa is married to at the end that she was already sick and dying. Um, so there would be a stepmom that explains that, but I mean, how are we to, or who are we to say that Leia, when she's asking that question is not remembering this. And then she had a stepmother after that, which I think is the way the story is supposed to go. Um, I think it's also fun to think of the idea that because Leia has the force, she can remember seeing her. She says, I only remember images and feelings. Um, but also like, it's not a plot hole because she remembers her mother, she could be remembering the mother who raised her. Like, it's... Yeah. I, I don't... Forest fans get caught up in junk like she that. She can float through space, ladies exactly. and gentlemen. Of like... all people, Leia would remember, okay? <laughs> um, the final scene where she dies, like you said, intercut with Darth Vader's birth. Uh, 
I also just love when he takes his first, like the look on Hayden Christensen's face before he, he gets the helmet on is like a look of terror. And then when he takes the first breath and you actually see like the fog being stirred up around him through the breath, that's just oh, it's such a cool little visual. Uh, and Hayden Christensen, it was, it was not the original idea to have him in the Darth Vader costume. So when he stands up and then it's like, actually miming the actions no or than the scene with tarkin that comes up where he's walking across the bridge hayden christensen basically begged them said i whatever just please let me wear the darth vader suit i all i want is to actually be darth vader and they let him do that but they wanted him to um look natural in the suit the way that vader would look natural so, like, the boots were built to be very heavy, because even though Hayden Christensen's quite tall, they, they built a little bit of lifts in there just to make him Vader height. And they intentionally built it in an uncomfortable way. And Hayden Christensen wears this costume for the first time when he films that scene walking across the bridge, because George Lucas wanted Vader's movement to look like somebody who was uncomfortable in his own body, which you see even in the way when he's ripping the thing out and doing the no. Like, it's like he doesn't know how to move yet, because he's these, he's all robot. And I actually really like they, they paid that much attention to detail that, like, Vader would not be walking like the Vader we know. He would be almost stumbling a little and not knowing what he's doing. Uh, and then the Tarkin thing, like, I would have loved to have actually seen Tarkin in this, but they make up for it in Rogue One, so I'm over that now. I do remember feeling a little bit cheated knowing that Tarkin was going to be in this movie and we only get that one shot. Uh, have you seen the deleted scene of Yoda arriving on Dagobah? I have not, no. Okay, so there there is a scene that actually made it so far that the visual effects are complete. This isn't even like the Phantom Menace ones where there's incomplete visual effects. Um, Yoda basically has his little pod ship that lands on Dagobah and he just sort of opens the door and looks around. That was supposed to be one of the four endings. You were supposed to see Leia arriving on uh, Alderaan, Padme's funeral, uh, Yoda arriving on Dagobah, and then Luke on Tatooine. Uh, But they cut that last moment because like this story really is just about this family. Um, One question I had for you, quickly on the um the funeral scene like you mentioned keisha castle hughes she was a very big deal at the time this movie came out because she had just come off of that movie whale rider where yep. i think she became the youngest actress to ever be nominated for lead actress for the academy mm-hmm. award she was like 13 or something yep it's one shot in the movie as her as the queen like i, I don't know was she a big deal in australia or maybe this was just a big deal in america because of her age but she was cast after Whale Rider, which is why it's confusing me that it's such a small part. But was this considered to be a big deal that she'd be in the movie? Well, she's a Kiwi. I'll point that out first of all. So uh, <laughs> she's uh, actually because Whale Rider is a New Zealand movie. Um, but oh, she's from Australia, though, isn't she? No, she's Kiwi. God no, we don't want her. Oh, okay. She's uh, <laughs> born in Australia, but yeah. Oh, it's, it does it. Oh, okay. Well, it's, I know like since living here. Um, there was a big article on her in the last 12 or so months basically saying, like, you know, oh, she was, like, so famous after Whale Rider, like, just people would not leave her alone and all this sort of stuff and that she's just returned to acting now or something like that because she had, like, a big break from everything. Um, I don't think there was a huge deal about it in Australia, if I'm completely honest with you, just because Whale Rider was kind of... It it was decentish in Australia. I think some of our school classes had to see it or something along those lines but um i'm sure it would have been pretty big in in new zealand um she was born in donnybrook western australia the metropolis of donnybrook neighboring Uh, city of snug i think um yeah sister cities (laughs) 
the reason I was asking this is obviously it was a big deal because she was nominated for the Academy Award and Whale Rider. I mean, it made a decent amount of money. I saw it. It was a really good movie. Um, but I heard the same thing that you were saying where, oh, the fame and everything, because she had developed a lot of drug problems and stuff like that as a teenager. And obviously she got pregnant to the age of 16. Um, that's more what she was famous for. But I think that article, she was sort of blaming the fame for her wrong decisions. And that's why I was kind of curious. Cause like Whale Rider came out and then, yeah, the, the girl from Whale Rider is going to be in Star Wars. But like, I don't remember her doing anything else after that. So I... I I always wondered if that was just sort of her saying, oh, it was the fame that made me screw up as a teenager or if she really was famous outside of, like, United States. Uh, New Zealand, yes. Australia, probs not. All right. Well, she did do Game of Thrones later on, so, you know, she she's kind of made, I guess, a bit of a comeback now. Um, yeah, I mean, she, you get Jar Jar, you get all the family members except for the sister who you mentioned, uh, what was her name in Attack of the Clones, the lead scene, the sister? Uh, Claudia Carvan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's the only one that doesn't get to come back um, for the end, the funeral. But I remember seeing the Chapur snippet <laughs> at the end. Um, <laughs> oh, it all comes down to that Chapur snippet. Uh, you know, the Alderaan scene, it's cool to see Alderaan, but I almost kind of wish that he had met her on the ship. Because I, I feel like Alderaan, if you're not going to use it as a major location, I almost would love it to just remain in mystery and not just have this visual of... You know, it almost looks a little too Naboo-like to me. I mean, Naboo in Switzerland or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I just I, I don't really care for the Alderaan ending. I like the whole idea of following all the characters. But there's something about Alderaan that I wish I didn't have a visual of it now and that it could have just been this mysterious planet that, you know, dies in the end of or beginning or middle of New Hope or whatever. Um, but the Luke scene, like this is what we talked about in Attack of the Clones that – when they were in Tunisia filming, they filmed this one scene. And if you think about it, it is the only exterior location they used in this entire movie. They did some, you know, background photography for Kashyyyk in Thailand. You know, they did the um, Mustafar stuff, you know, with the volcanoes and all that. Um, I think they actually did use Switzerland for Alderaan. But again, no actors went to these places. They just sent film crews for the the, the background and this is the only time you're in a real location the whole movie. Now, it, it, when I saw this, it totally made sense why George Lucas said that we're going to film one scene here in Tunisia for the next movie because there's no point to coming back here just for one scene. Uh, and it's such a great scene. I mean, to see the whole sunset shot, like with Owen and Baru in the same position Luke is in and uh, technically seeing Luke in that same position with the same sunset in A New Hope, such a great, like it was the perfect last scene for the movie. Uh, you know, and Obi-Wan, I mean, I, I wish we had seen something with Owen being like, you stay away from this boy because we don't really get the resentment that <laughs> Owen has for him later on. Uh, he just sort of hands it off and there's no introduction either. Like, did Obi-Wan call ahead? Yeah. Uh, hi, Aunt uh, and yeah. do you know who I am? No, we never met. Cool. Awesome. Um, so just like so, favor. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that guy who came, he said he was your stepbrother. So he did something really bad. Um, I'm going to be dropping one of his kids off. Yeah, you're going to need to watch him. Because you, you just watch him for uh, a bit? How long's a bit? Oh, yeah. um, 20 years maybe? Just Yeah. yeah. You know, I can take him after that. I'm, I'm just not good with kids. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the creepy old uncle shoot? in the hills, like, you know, just chilling and shit, like talking to ghosts. Yeah. 
It was like he shows up, he hands in the baby, and then he walks away like they knew he was coming. <laughs> and how does he know who they are? Yeah, he's I never mean, met he him. knows Anakin. Yeah, and th- this is, I mean, Anakin met them for like five minutes, so how do they know they're trustworthy too? Um, a lot of people call it a plot hole that they take him to Tatooine and that Luke never changes his name. Watch the end of this movie. It actually makes total sense. He tells Vader, the Emperor tells Vader, you killed her or whatever. So he thinks the babies are gone. He never knew he had twins. We know that from Return of the Jedi. The Emperor smiles there. Now, the Emperor may not even know she's dead. When Obi-Wan is telling Luke in, in Return of the Jedi, he says, the Emperor knew as I did that if Vader had any children, they would be a threat to him. So the, the that movie, the original trilogy, everybody likes to dump on the prequels and say that this is you know something stupid in the prequels. The original trilogy told us the Emperor wanted nothing to do with these kids. He wanted them brushed under the rug. As far as he was concerned, they don't exist because that's the threat to Vader turning on him. So when he says she's dead, like who cares if Luke goes and uses the name Skywalker? First of all, Shmi got her name from somewhere. There's other Skywalkers in the galaxy. Who Obviously, the other Skywalkers are on Tatooine because that's where Shmi lived. It doesn't matter that he's got the name Skywalker on Tatooine. And the Emperor never wanted to find them. It was a complete fluke that Vader found him in the first place. So I, that, that's the number one thing where people criticize this and like, oh, he doesn't even change his name and he just takes him to his home planet. Nobody knows where Tatooine is in the first place. <laughs> Vader's going to have no interest in coming back there. He even says in episode two, he, hates he never wants to go. <laughs> he hates sand. <laughs> and even that side, Vader's made it very clear he never wants to go back there. Why is he going to look for them if he thinks he's killed his wife? And the Emperor, with that really creepy smile, has made it clear also, what we know of Obi-Wan's speech in Return of the Jedi, that the Emperor didn't want them out there. He's not going to go looking for them. I agree. Is it like uh, uh, they can't sense it on the Force, like in the opening of A New Hope when Vader's right there in front of his daughter? Like, there's not a sense thing going on there? Like, you're my daughter. No, yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> like... You look a lot like a woman I once had a thing for. Like, is he sexually attracted? There's a question. He doesn't know it is his daughter. I mean, Luke, he should be like, oh, she kind of looks like me. But, like, Vader's like, ooh, you remind me of Padme. Well, incest is kind of a thing in Star Wars, right? Like, I mean, you know. Oh, clearly. <laughs> just a little bit. It's Tatooine thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Prequels done. Well, I mean, I guess we've got to talk about the reviews and stuff. Um, just a slight little thing there. Um, so this got decent. I remember this coming out and getting quite uh, strong reviews. Like everyone straight away was like, oh, this is easily the best one and things like that. Kind of people talked up a little bit. It has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. 80%. What do the originals have? That's really good. I don't know what the originals have. Um, based on 293... Either way, that's strong for any movie. Yeah. 7.28 out of 10, uh, with a critical consensus saying, with Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, George Lucas brings his second Star Wars trilogy to a suitably thrilling ending, thrilling and often poignant, if all still a bit uneven conclusion. Um, most critics consider the film to be the best of the prequel trilogy, a few even calling it the best of the entire Star Wars saga. Who are these few? Uh, A.O. Scott, the esteemed of New York Times, <laughs> concluded that it was the best of the four episodes Mr. Lucas has directed and equal to The Empire Strikes Back as the richest and most challenging movie in the cycle. Uh, in a 2000... Wait. Mm, 
You mean somebody said it was even better than the original? I know, right? I thought this was only the best of the prequels. In a 2007 summary of the 100 best science fiction films on Rotten Tomatoes, Revenge of the Sith was placed 51st out of 100, making it the only Star Wars prequel film to earn a rank on that list. Um, Jonathan Rosenbaum, a critic who disliked A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back... I love how they have to like reiterate like that fact before they get to this bit. Gave the film a positive review, saying that it had a relatively thoughtful story. That's a great review to have. Uh, in, in all fairness, I mean, saying, oh, a guy who didn't like the, the beloved original said he loved this. That's sort of like when Jamie says to me often, you know, I don't really care for those Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Batman and Robin's my favorite. Um, wow, really? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can we I'm that? not knocking this movie and saying it's like Batman and Robin, but it's like when you're criticizing the originals, like I don't care what your opinion is, you're still an idiot. How are we not? Did we not talk about this recently? That we have not done Batman and Robin for Bad Movie Month. Um, oh, it's got to be coming. So it says here, though many critics and fans viewed Revenge of the Sith as the strongest of the three prequels, some viewers thought it was more or less on par with The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Uh, much of the criticism was directed towards dialogue, particularly the film's romantic scenes. Christensen's performance, which won him his second Golden Raspberry for Worst Actor. Um, critics and fans criticized lines such as, Hold me, Annie, hold me, like you did by the lake <laughs> on Naboo, where there was nothing but our love. Critics have claimed this demonstrated Lucas's weakness as a writer of dialogue, a subject which Lucas openly agreed when achieve- receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award for the American Film Institute. Um, and some American, because this is what you were saying before, conservatives criticize a film, claiming it has a liberal bias <laughs> and is a commentary of the George <laughs> W. Bush administration and the Iraq war. Some web- websites went so far to propose a boycott of the film. Wow. Excuse me. I just the, you know what the funny thing is? That, like, that was a real thing, but Wikipedia is kind of making it sound like, oh, it was just all these, you know, Bush supporters who claimed that the, the movie had a liberal bias. It was actually, it started the other way around. It was all... These people in media saying, be honest with us, George. This is actually about George W. Bush and how he's doing all these terrible things, right? Like, it's funny that they're trying to spin it that way, but it was both sides kind of saw it. That that was just, you know, the way that the country was at the time. I guess we get the same thing out. Everybody sees, you know, the Me Too movement in every movie that comes out, whether it's intentional or not. Um, This was the only Star Wars film not to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Uh, it did. Seriously? Seriously. It did get nominated for Best Makeup, but it lost to the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> uh, it won Favourite Motion Picture and Favourite Dramatic Motion Picture at the People's Choice Awards. It was a Hollywood movie of the year at the Hollywood Film Festival. Uh, won an Empire Award. Um, lots of things. Uh, as did every film of the original trilogy, the film won Saturn Award for Best Science Picture... Science Fiction Picture. <laughs> <laughs> it, won, it won an award for Best... Science fiction picture movie. Uh, John Williams won Best Music. The film was also nominated for 10 Saturn Awards, including Best Director, Best Writing for Lucas, Best Actor for Christensen, Best Actor for Portman, and Best Supporting Actor for Ian McDermott. But, of course, we did say that Hayden Christensen won a Worst Supporting Actor for Golden Raspberry. Um, and it is the only Star Wars prequel not to receive a Razzie nomination for Worst Picture. There you go. Yes. That's, that's in itself right there. Um, box office wise, uh, it did okay, I guess. Uh, 380 million. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did this set the record? Did this break Harry Potter's record for biggest opening weekend yeah. at the time? 
Yeah, it wasn't even close. I think, um, do you have the opening weekend there? I'm going to get it. 108 million. Was it the first to crack 108 million? 100, 100 million, I should say. Sorry. Do no, we... I thought it did more than that. Wasn't it like closer to 150? Uh, no, it says 108. Well, I'm oh, that was, it opened on a Thursday. So, yeah, because they did the Thursday openings at this point. So, it was like 150 million in third, three days. Yeah, but it still it was like it was like biggest opening week or whatever in history. It was like there's no denying this was like blows away the Phantom Menace attack of the clones as far as box office. I mean, overall, I think Phantom Menace made more overall. But like this was like the Avengers Endgame of 2005. It wasn't just huge box office. It was everybody in the world is seeing this movie in one week. Well, I mean, I guess maybe if you're factoring in the fact that it opened on Thursday, because according to this, I'm at least reading that Spider-Man technically still held the opening record. Um, but Three days. Yeah, it must be the three-day thing. So, um, yeah, there you go. But, uh, yeah, went on to make uh, $380 million. It was the highest-grossing uh, movie of 2005, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. Which, what else came out that year? That was uh, The Chronicles of Narnia line, which in the wardrobe was second. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was third. War of the Worlds. I love that movie. I know you don't, but I love that movie. Uh, King Kong, the remake. Wedding Crashes. Well, Jesus, $209 million of Wedding Crashes. Uh, <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ugh, that's a terrible movie. Batman Begins at eight. Madagascar at nine, and Mister and Mrs. Smith at ten. Um, I remember the promo- the promotion for this movie too. Uh, they actually there was a the Monaco Grand Prix in two thousand and five. Uh, the Red Bull Formula One team. They were like brand new at the time. They did a big Star Wars like livery and had like George Lucas and Darth Vader and all that show up on the grid and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. Um. So, yeah, I think, uh, so out of all the Star Wars movies, this sits fifth. Uh, so, uh, the second highest of the prequels behind Phantom Menace. And uh, it's only, take away Phantom Menace, so you got Rogue One, Last Jedi, and Force Awakens all have earned more money than this, of course. So, um, yes, that's dumb. Who pays more to see The Last Jedi than this movie? Um, plot keywords... Um, oh, let's hope we get some good ones after Attack of the Clones. Elongated cry of no month. Um, <laughs> number one is Shutter Island, followed by X-Men Origins Wolverine, The Hobbit Unexpected Journey, and Spider-Man 2. Um, Phantom Menace is number five. So where is Revenge of the Sith in this list? It's very low. I assume that would be the most popular <laughs> one. Um, dying in Childbirth month. Coughing Robot month. <laughs> kicked in the Butt month. Uh, <laughs> Father Please missed, tell me what's on that Kicked in the butt month um, The esteemed list of Stand By Me Good movie actually True Grit Dance of the Vampires And Waiting Dot 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 um, I also like that Murder of a Child month uh, Could be a <laughs> popular one It number one The Shining The Hunger Games And The Witch um, Father Misses the Birth of His Child uh, <laughs> This uh, is all like Deadbeat Dad Month. That's what this really is. Kashyyyk the Planet's Month. Um, <laughs> betrayal, suffering, decapitated by an elevator month. Now, come on. What? That's a month we've got to do. Um, the droids at the beginning, I believe, they're talking about there. So Star Wars mm-hmm. Episode Three: Resident Evil, Three Days to Kill, and De-Lift. D-E-Lift. D-Lift. <laughs> An elevator mysteriously begins to function intelligently on its own where victims who go near the elevator or use it are killed. Oh, I actually really want to do this month now. (laughs) 
I'm going to put that as our front runner, decapitated by an elevator month. 1983, this movie came out. It stars the esteemed Hoob Staple, Willeke Van Amaloy, and Josine Van Dalsum. Uh, must, it sounds German or Dutch or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> dead lift. Um, Man on Fire Month. There's one for you. Yes. <laughs> um, what's number one? You, I shouldn't tell you this. You get too excited. Hereditary is number one. Man on Fire. Hereditary, Deadpool 2, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Sherlock Holmes. So, oh, I haven't seen Hereditary and it's on Netflix. I know what I'm watching tonight. This is such a long list. African American Month, Angry Man Month, Human Female Month. Ooh. <laughs> Lifting someone into the air month. Lifting a female into the air. Uh, Allegory of multiple historical events month. (laughs) Reasons why Spike Lee was blacklisted month. What? (laughs) Torso cut in half month. (laughs) Invented language month. I I know it's not on there, but I really wish that there would be a henceforth your name shall be known as month. (laughs) (laughs) Tough Girl Month, Good Woman Month, Evil Man Month, Jar Jar Binks Character Month. (laughs) Oh, hang on. Bearded Man Month. All right. Uh, There we go. Featuring Avengers Endgame, Us, Avengers Infinity War, and, oh, God, The Fate of the Furious. No thanks. Moving on. Uh, Um, All right. So what are we doing with this movie, Colin? (laughs) Bin. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Bin, bin, bin. Uh, yes, buy it. Um, question. It's basically like, where do we rank this, right? <laughs> well, it's number one right now. Um, yeah. My original rankings that I did a couple of years ago, I had this third. So, um, yeah, and it's just I can't displace the two movies above it. That's the only thing. It's kind mm-hmm. of otherwise this would be high. And I, when I rewatched it straight away, I was like, oh, my God, I want to put this higher on my list. Um, but I'm like, oh, you know, probably couldn't. Um, so I sort of can't. Um, it's so good. Yeah. Anything else you want to add on this? I mean, we're into the second part now. Obviously, clearly, we're into two parts yeah. again, two in a row. Uh, good for us. Um, so anything else you want to add before we move forward? No, just that. You know, I feel like calling this the best of the prequels doesn't do it justice. I mean. If it just feels like Star Wars is hold to held to a certain standard that other movies aren't, you know, like you know, the fact is, if you rewatch the Avengers movies, the first one is okay, uh, the second one is garbage, the third one is good until you see the fourth and realize the third one never needed to happen. I mean, is anybody going to go there and say, oh, well, you know, Endgame is easily the best of, you know, the original Avengers movies. No, you're just going to say Endgame's a great movie, and that's what this is. It's a great Star Wars movie. And we're at the end of the prequels now, too. Do we Do we feel like we've defended them mm-hmm. enough? Anything we want to add on the, the oh, prequels? Yeah. Stop bashing the prequels, everyone. Just, just stop it! Well, I think <laughs> when we get to episodes four, five, and six, the beloved ones, and we start to point out a lot of the same issues... Uh, people are going to start to get the point that it's, you know Star Wars has always been a certain way, and it's just you grow up on it one way, and when you become older, you become more critical. That's all it is. Simple, everyone. Simple logic. All right. Watch the Last Jedi, and then watch these, and tell us which are better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which moves us into <laughs> Solo, a Star Wars movie that killed the spin-offs. Um, <laughs> now. I've only seen this once. I saw it at the movies, and I haven't seen it again. And it's, it's nothing out of spite or anything. It's just 
just haven't watched it again. It's it's obviously the newest one at the time of recording this. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, we did a review on it, and I I remember saying like I enjoyed this movie. To me, it's the best of the Disney films um, that have been released, and it's probably not a popular opinion with Rogue One and the Force Awakens out there. Um, but yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's got. It had an edge of your seat, draw, jaw-dropping moment to me that I lost my shit in mm-hmm. uh, with the, the big cameo reveal at the end. Uh, and I'm legitimately sad that we're not going to see another one. Like, I mean, I think they're possibly talking about doing some TV stuff with it on Disney+, Plus, which would be great. Um, but, you know, I, I, yeah, I actually really enjoyed this movie. You know, Tanning Newton's in it, Woody Harrelson's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the dude that plays... Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, yes, Paul Bettany. Uh, I, I saw one of those videos they do where they kind of go over their careers recently and he sort of talked about that sort of just, you know, wanting to be in Star Wars. Like, that was his ultimate dream. Um, so the fact that he got to do it. Um, but, yeah, like, it's it's so good. What's the guy's name? Alden Einrich? Alden Ehrenreich? Yeah, look, yeah. I, I'm not... I'm, he, I'm not 100% sold on him still as Han Solo. Like, that's maybe the one thing I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, but... Outside of that, Donald Glover's fantastic. I mean, God's sake, you know, between Simba and Lando Calrissian, who did he play better? Uh, Lando. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Amelia Clark. I don't watch Game of Thrones, so she's just an actress to me. Like, she's no one to me except a normal actress. Uh, but, but, yeah, like, this is such a good film that I remember. Um, I'm hoping I'm enjoying it a lot more, or the same as I do when I see it. Um, but, yeah, Solo, the the one that... this Is, is this now the black sheep of the Star Wars franchise um it's it's the reason why we're not getting as many theatrical films anymore but uh, i feel like this movie if we're did the defending of the prequels as far as unfair criticisms i feel like we're going to be defending this as a movie because all the criticisms just revolve around the troubled production of this movie and when people eventually saw it Everybody seemed to have the same reaction. It's like, that was a lot better than I thought it would be. I didn't really think I heard anybody complain about this. Now, it didn't have people, you know, jumping out of their seats the way that Rogue One did. Um, but it, it, it's still, it's it's overall, overall well-liked movie. And I kind of have the same reaction. When I watched this, I'm like, that was actually way better than I thought it would be. The thing that was most surprising to me was when I watched it a second time, and it, for me, went from being, yeah, that was better than I thought it would be to being, wow, that was a really fun movie. Uh, I think that people, if they've only seen it once, go back and watch it a second time because I think this is one of those movies that definitely get better, like get significantly better the second time you see it. So I'm curious to see what your reaction is going to be when you see You're going to go from being, this is the best of the Disney movies, like, this is my new number one. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Tanny Newton is all it takes. That's all she does. Mm-hmm. She's up there. Um, so, yeah, looking forward. Obviously, we're kind of... We're not really taking a break from the the. I mean, this is, we we said we're going to do all ten basically to the point of uh, the rise of Skywalker. So chronologically, we're doing this. Obviously, we know the next two we're doing aren't episodes as such, but um, still. But it will it will be a break because it's going to be one part and. <laughs> Yes. You and I will probably be able to record in one shot. Yes. One take. We aim to, if we make solo longer <laughs> than five hours, Jesus Christ, how is that possible? Then we know like Empire Strike Back is going to go for like eight hours. So, mm. uh, so stay tuned that that's next week. Uh, in the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, all the relevant channels. We appreciate you joining us. If you missed our Terminator coverage, I believe that wrapped up yesterday. So, uh, Get excited for the new Terminator. Thank God. <laughs> Genesis, <laughs> Nessie, whatever the hell it was, you know. Um, 
relax. Uh, yeah, cool. Go listen to them. They're funny. And um, listen to other episodes too about Survivor and Third Watch and stuff. They're pretty good. Uh, but thank you for tuning in to both parts of this 20-hour epic long yeah. thing. I mean, how long did the whole prequels coverage go for? Like 15 hours? Good for us. Uh, <laughs> takes you longer to listen to these and watch them. Um, so I think you'd be up to about a new hope right now if you had 15 hours to watch Star Wars movies instead of listening to us. Good for you. Um, you'd be on season three of The Clone Wars. <laughs> yes. My name is Ben, and henceforth you shall now be known as Darth Stunning. Oh, and I was going to say, henceforth I shall be known as Darth Colin. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net. <laughs>